Yeah, Citibank should. There should be a run on the bank as we speak. Adam Curry, John C. Devorak. It's February twenty first, two thousand ten. Time again for your Gibbo Nation Media Assassination Episode one seven six. This is no agenda. Reading the law so you don't have to, and coming to you live from the Hilltop Watchtower, Crackpot Command Center, and Gibbo Nation West, Los Angeles, in the Republic of California. In the morning, I'm Adam Curry. And wondering where the rain is, which is supposed to have hit last Friday and nothing came of it. I'm here in northern Silicon Valley. I'm John C. Dvorak. It's Crackpot and Buzzkill. In the morning. Yeah, we got the rain. We got rain over here, man. Yeah, it's apparently raining in Arizona, too. Yeah, hey, in the morning to you, my friend. In the morning. Lest there be any type of confusion, we actually love each other. <laughs> People sometimes are confused. They think that you know we're like an old married couple. It's mar- it's it's man love, <laughs> man crush. Yeah. Hey, I had dinner last night um, with a good friend of ours, Rodrigo Otazu, at uh, Rodrigo Otazu. He's oh, a he, you know, he's a jewelry designer. He's pretty hot right now. He's yeah. uh, Argentinian, but he uh, he he started in Amsterdam. And we had dinner at uh, Gordon Ramsay's London. Uh, Restaurant in the London Hotel. Oh, I, he, I thought he shut that down. I, maybe he shut the New York one down because he had one in New York. I know that, but it was. Oh, I thought it was the L.A. one. Okay, no. well, anyway, what about it? Good. No, of course, it's good. The guy knows what he's doing. Yeah, I'm sure he's not there though. I'm sure he's not there, and I'm sure it was too expensive. Mm. That was the second thing I was going to say. Way too expensive. Just yeah. outrageous. I think the days of these expensive meals are over. Yeah, people wanted us to talk. I got more than a few letters from people saying, hey. How come you don't talk, wine, yeah, talk about wine and food? Well, I'll tell you, I agree with you, John, because it was no problem getting a reservation on a Saturday night. Originally, it was going to be just the two of us, and then we added, then it was going to be four, and then it went back to three. And Mickey called back like four times, changing the time, changing the number of people was not a problem. And the restaurant was not full. It's too expensive. Yeah, it really is. And now, the other and thing is, like, I, well, we went to a place here, uh, which I didn't think was that great, but it was it was interesting and and cheap. It was a it was a uh, or relatively, uh, it was a uh, in San Francisco called Choo Choo. Oh, that yeah, the the bistro we went to together. Yeah, yeah. that uh, you know, is it even that you know? I don't know. I, I'm having mixed feelings about some of the uh, trends going on. The the night before, I was taken to dinner by uh, the f- people at Netsuite. The CEO there's a good friend of mine who uh, uh, likes to go out once in a while with, with some some of his staff, and I got invited. And so we went to um, the just awarded two stars uh michelin uh, place called qua coi it's pronounced qua mm-hmm. in san francisco and it's like 11 courses of like a tablespoon of this and a tablespoon of that and a who wants that just give me a burger yeah I mean, it's like it's interesting like five or six or seven or eight years ago or 10 years ago right, this sort, right. sort of thing because you know people were starting to get into cooking they're looking for new ideas and but it, it's 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 so tired that yeah, uh I, agree. I really wonder about you know even the the molecular gastronomy that's going on here and there where the guys you know, are doing I, I was hanging out with um dave matthews came over uh friday night uh, from the and, dave matthews band no dave the inventor Oh, Dave, the inventor. And he was talking about this molecular stuff where they, 
Um, you know, they take like a certain type of food, but they'll change the way it looks, the texture, the taste. So you think it's something else and it, and they maybe even change the smell and then you eat it and it completely messes with your head. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this was all perfected by the guy out in Spain in the Costa Brava, a place called El Bulli. And uh, it's been, he has a number of proteges around the world. I ate at one of his places in, in, um, Sao Paulo called Dom D O M, which is actually quite. It was it was good. I mean, the thing is, so the guy in in Brazil was at least serving. Uh, you know, he was he wasn't. It wasn't like a teaspoon of this and a tablespoon of that. It was like entire meals that were done this way, where you think you're eating one thing, but right. it's actually another. Yeah. The, this this the the meat the sauce that you normally find. You know, that's a meat sauce. and the rich brown sauce is actually chocolate. You know, kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, that's that's weird. Where you think you're going to sink your teeth into one thing, and it turns out to be another. Yeah, but you know, again, I mean, this is interesting, but is it really... Uh, Dude, we're going back to home gro- homegrown vegetables because that's all that's going to be available if you want something that's not genetically modified. Yeah, that, and then there's now there's some word out that, uh, you know, aspartame, the... Uh, aspartame. Aspartame, the uh, stuff done by your buddy... Uh, Rumsfeld. Is is a potentially the cause of a lot of this this early onset Parkinson's and and obesity and heart disease and all kinds of bad stuff. So anyway, so this is the kind of stuff we'll be talking about today, ladies and gentlemen. If you're uh, <laughs> wait, click. I just heard everyone tune out. <laughs> <laughs> Don't blame them. Hey, who's our executive producer for episode one seventy six, John? Uh, we have three uh, executive producers and two associates. Okay, let's rock it. So the, at the top of the list, though, has to be uh, only goes by the letter CB from Tokyo. He wishes to remain CB from Tokyo. Gave us 500 bucks. Wow. Uh, nice. Thank you, CB. And he will convert it to a knighthood. One, he, this, he, let me I'll read you this and you can let your head swell. I will add and convert this to knighthood. Once I hear the new DSC episode that was mentioned a while back, <laughs> I really miss the DSC. That would be Daily Source Code, which is the program that has now officially been off the air for one year and three days. <laughs> Not that you're keeping track. No, I wasn't. Uh, uh, Raymond Raymond Port was keeping track, and he, people are twittering about it. I got. I'm going to get it going. I got to go to Europe for a week. Going to see my daughter. Come back. Then we really get cranking. And then we got three hundred thirty-three dollars and thirty-four cents. As long as the three, 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 three thing keeps going, these guys are getting a, a executive producers. Well, John, you do know by now that. This came from G E R B E E R D E N. Hold on, G E R B E E R E Bearden B E. E R D E N. Oh, hair bearden. Okay, it's hair. 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 It's like hair with a h. Why would you name a kid this? He's going to have spit all over him. <laughs> it's, it comes from Gerard uh, or Gerrit. Gerard, basically. It's a it's a an abbreviation. <laughs> Why would you name a kid who's going to get spit on? <laughs> yeah, exactly. He's in Vorburg. <laughs> I, I'm afraid to ask. Where is it? Forburg. Forburg. 
Forberg. Which is right before The Hague, I believe. It's, it, you know, it's, I guess after all this mispronunciation of these crazy Dutch names, I'll eventually start to pick up the patterns I'm looking for. Yeah, but, but basically the Dutch are now donating just to hear you mispronounce their name. This seems to be the case, <laughs> yes. It's, it's nothing to do with the show. Like, we love hookers and blow and all that. Just mispronounce my name because it's funny the way you say it. Yeah, I know. I, I love to be the butt of humor. Uh, hi, John and Adam. Since the Dutch government fell today, there's a slight reason for optimism in Gitmo Nation East. Actually, we've Lowlands. Lowlands. Yeah, we do have to talk about that. That's the top of my also, list, Adam actually. went easy on the no agenda church routine lately. Both reason enough to celebrate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. the small, we're trying to avoid that, too. A small stride toward knighthood. Um uh, He's uh, in the chat room as Here, that's Mal. Oh. But you may have a go at pronouncing my names. Always a blast to hear you break your tongue over awkward <laughs> names. Thanks, Hair. Hair. Okay. Hair with a huh. Okay. And, and our third executive producer. from Sean Connolly in uh, Naperville, Illinois. Hasn't Sean he, uh, donated before? Yes, he's a he's a regular. Yeah. Uh, he wants us to plug Daniel Suarez's novels, Damon and Freedom. Okay, must read this. Very topical techno thrillers for the no agenda audience. Excellent. So check out Daniel Suarez, and then our associate executive producers are a couple of regulars. Uh, <laughs> Ian Monroe. Hey, you did it <laughs> at River Ridge, Louisiana, and. Uh, and our friend Elon Shemis, who is, by the way, now a knight. Oh, wait a minute. Do we have to? Now, we were going to do knighthoods today. Do we have just. Oh, we, only have, we have two. We're going to do. There's a, there's a few others on our other, the other program we're working on, our, our No Agenda show uh, uh, donors, which is separate. Uh, we're going to, after the 1st of March, we're going to put them together, the ones that. There's a couple in there that have wanted to become knights. Uh, but Eon. Uh, Elon Shemis and also the the uh, uh, Steve Pelsmacher's pal, the uh, oh, the separator. separator. Yeah, so we have two nice. You want to run it up? Yeah, hold on a second. So let me do uh, Elon Shemis first. Elon Shemis, kneel before us, please, as we now officially knight thee, Sir Elon Shemis. He just chopped his head off. No, no, no. Now officially Knight of the No Agenda Roundtable. Welcome to the Brotherhood. All right, now we have to do the separator, which is kind of weird because this is zombie, this has been done by uh, Stephen Pelsmockers. Yeah, and the thing is with the separator, he's obviously going to be a knight with a mask on. <laughs> yes, right. He's Hold on a second. Don the hooded... Uh, mask, <laughs> the, the mask. separator. <laughs> Kneel before us as we now officially knight thee, sir, the separator of the No Agenda Roundtable. Please enjoy our hookers and blow. <laughs> Feast upon the loveliness that is No Agenda. So Shemis says that uh, he will laugh about the fallen cabinet. Yeah, no, I'm. <laughs> So first of all, let me thank our executive producers, CB from Tokyo, Herr Beard, and Sean Connolly. Connolly? That's it, right? Connolly? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Ian Monroe and Elon Shemis. Elon Shemis. 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 Um, who are, uh, uh, Ian and uh, Elon are, are ex uh, associate executive producers. 
please do put this on your resume. Not only does it help you get jobs, uh, it looks good, and it actually makes us us look good too. If you if people start listing this and it starts popping up, you know, people be like, another one of those resumes where there's no agenda thing on it. You know what what is going on with that? It's good. It's all round good. And, Absolutely. And uh, and it's highly appreciated. And you really do make this show run. You really do make it work. Your donation is is doing exactly what an executive producer does. They front the money so that the show can uh, be produced. And uh, you never get any residuals. So it's perfect. It's exactly the way it's, it's supposed to work. It's just like Hollywood. It's just like <laughs> It's the real deal. So I guess maybe we should start with um, Gitmo Nation Lowlands because I was rather excited after I did this humongous rant on the previous show about the Netherlands, about the Dutch in particular, how suppressed they are. Um, the night of, uh, so it was Friday night, and they had this real long meeting in the uh, cabinet meeting in Holland. The, uh, the, the government fell. And uh, you might be wondering, what exactly does that mean? Yes, what does that mean? Well, the way they it works. Fell. So it's running around in the streets, everyone's anarchy? <laughs> they tripped. <laughs> no, not yet, though. So first of all, what happened is, you know, the way the Dutch government works, you have a number of parties, and you have to have a majority of seats in the government. So um, typically, whoever has the most seats during the election gets to form the coalition, and then they have to find a couple other parties they can work with. And then, you know, there's weeks sometimes of uh, discussion. Hey, can we work together? And, uh, and by the way, a lot of them are religious groups. So not only we do have a labor party, we have a socialist party, but we have the Christian Democrats. We have the, the right wing Christians. We have a whole bunch of different. They're uh, called the right wing Christians? <laughs> almost. Now, they're called the Christian un- Union. Uh, there's a Green Party. I mean, it's just a lot of different uh yeah, they usually show this at like when there's. I was reading about they show a pie chart, and there's all these different parties, and they all have representation. So it was very interesting. In order to have a majority coalition, the Labour Party was with the Christian Democrats, and they brought in uh, the Christian Union, which is kind of these really right wing guys who have a very small following, but that gave them just enough uh, seats in the government to have the majority. And sometimes the party that actually wins will wind up as an opposition because they can't form the coalition. It's really crazy. And, of course, the guy, you, know, you, you think you're voting for a guy or a woman, but they never wind up running the show. So it's, it's, it's typical Gitmo fashion. Anyway, um, in 2007, when they formed this uh, Balkanenda cabinet, which was the fourth time the, this, uh, under the Christian Democrats, the cabinet has fallen four times already. And remember, the first time they came in was after uh, Pim Fortuyn was assassinated. So this has always been a very sketchy group of people, in my opinion. Um, they had, the, the coalition had agreed in the, at the previous elections in 2007 that in 2010 they would withdraw from Afghanistan. The Dutch, as we've discussed on this program, uh, are stationed in Uruzgan in Afghanistan, protecting the poppies over there. Actually, there's, uh, there's, it's, sometimes it gets pretty nasty in, the, in that region. And um, so, uh, you know, the time is up, right? It's time to pull out. And, of course, this is a NATO mission. And the way, it, or the way this whole Afghanistan thing has been spun is, hey, you know, they attacked America, so all NATO people have to help us. And you got to go in and, uh, and you all got to be a part of the program. And um, the, uh, 
the CDA, the Christian Democrats, were like, well, you know, we shouldn't really pull out. Maybe we should have another meeting. We should have another steering committee. And this has been going on for a number of weeks now. And finally, the Labor Party, who was this, you know, the second uh, largest part of the coalition, said, that's it. Screw you. We're out. And so then they basically pull out. They no longer have majority. And that's how the cabinet falls. And that means within 83 days, there has to be new elections. Why 83? It's the law somehow. I don't know. It's the magic number. They could have done 84, but three was more magical. So by May, there has to be new elections. Now, here's what's interesting. Of course, I said that this, you know, this, particularly this government has brought in so many rules and regulations and all kinds of crap that the Dutch people were so suppressed and, you know, really were frustrated and, and, and all of their frustrations were coming out in comments on the Internet and everyone's just really pissed off. There's a huge integration issue with a Muslim population. And we have this guy, Geert Wilders, uh, who is, uh, whose party is the PVV, uh, which is the party of freedom something. And uh, this is the guy who did the, the video, the Fitna video against... Uh, basically against Islam, and because of this video, remember, he was not allowed into the United Kingdom because he was discriminating. And so oh, right, this is an old story. Yeah, this is this is this went on uh, over a year ago, and, and the right, video yeah, actually wasn't. It. Yeah, but the video wasn't all that good. I mean, Alex Jones does stuff ten times better than what he did, and his stuff is really bad. <laughs> so, so it's like, all right, this is what all the brujas about. You know, it's like it wasn't all that big a deal. However. Um, they did a straw poll, and his party would win by a landslide if elections were held today, like a like huge amount, like thirty seats, which would be you know ten. Well, so they've got to put the election off. Well, this is exactly what happened with Pim Fortuyn. There's two things that can happen. One, he's an obvious candidate for two to the head. By the way, if you if you don't know who this guy is, you've probably seen him on the news. He has this really crazy blonde, really. Uh, luminous and blonde hair. Uh, but a lot of people like him because he's basically carrying the same message that Pim Fortin was carrying, which was, you know, hey, enough with the Muslim integration. You know, they need to speak Dutch or get out. You know, basic, I'm, I'm paraphrasing to an, a large extent. And uh, there's a lot of people who are very tired of what's going on. And of course, the Muslim population, population is an easy target to blame for everything. It's very typical. Yeah, of course. But but I have to say the uh, the integration uh, of the multicultural society has not gone well. Um, but there's something that's very interesting that's happening is this guy is being prosecuted by the Dutch Justice Department for discriminating the entire nation of Islam with this video. So it's possible he it's could a hate crime. Yes, exactly. It's possible he could get thrown in jail, or his maybe his right to stand uh, as an uh, elected official could be taken away. That doesn't mean the party goes away, but it's going to be really crazy right now. It's going to be very interesting. But what I did uh, Saturday morning when I woke up and this had already happened is I started reading all of these comments and. People were like rejoicing and saying, oh, yes, it's a national holiday and this, you know, this day will go down in history. We're so happy. This stupid government is gone. And uh, it's just wow. You know, so now it'll be interesting to see if the Dutch can really pull ahead and, and come up with some creative ideas for changing their destiny. I'm guessing no. Yeah, I, I have to I have to tell you, I'm uh, I'm pretty worried myself. 
Because it, you know, it's probably impossible for the PVV, Geert Wilders party, to have such an overwhelming majority that they don't have to form a, a, a coalition. So who wants to work with them is the next question. Because, of course, these guys are, you know, deemed as racist and, you know, and, but, you know, I, I know lots of people and they are all like, this guy's our guy and he's going to change stuff. He's going to make it happen for us. He's representing how we really feel. And I know that there is a, a huge undercurrent in, in Holland and Gitmo Nation Lowlands of people who really want to stop the, the immigration, which, by the way, it's too late because that is now all being uh, arranged by Brussels. You see, it doesn't really matter that the government fell now because it doesn't matter. It's uh, the Lisbon Treaty came in. That was the whole point of this government was to shepherd the Lisbon Treaty, get that in, and you watch all these guys are going to go off to wonderful little spots in Brussels or maybe high-ranking officials at Goldman Sachs. You know, they're all going to get their little uh, their little payoffs for doing their job, and uh, the, the only the only way to I mean, it, they have to have some kind of revolution which will not be a color other than red as in blood to really change something it's yeah my, it's i think it's a, the, the, i think the likelihood of that is zero too uh, this is all leading to a civil war more than anything else it is especially if turkey um enters uh the european union they're gonna have trouble turkey's gonna have trouble getting in well they're certainly trying yeah, they got a, They have a, a catch twenty two, unfortunately, built into their system, which is the uh, fact that they have all these these harsh rules against anyone who uh, is a, a fundamentalist. Sh- Sharia law. Well, no, they have a harsh rule about people even advocating that. I mean, oh, you can be okay. thrown in jail for all kinds of of of, of for any sort of religious uh, promotion. Uh, so the Islamists have uh, can't even talk about it. But since they had, they've recently had some elections where an Islamist uh, essentially has gotten into the government and kind of fighting these rules, uh, the possibility exists that that could be overturned and Turkey could go from being this incredibly liberal uh, Islamic state where they have one of the best party scenes I've ever seen in my life. Anywhere. Oh, yeah. I mean, that is uh, Istanbul is a party town, baby. And... Uh, it's uh, where they drink a lot. In fact, I, one guy was I was hanging out was saying, you know, we, we're the Muslims who drink, and uh, that 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 can be destroyed rather quickly Quite when these fundamentalists yeah. take over. Well, I think what will happen uh, in the Netherlands is it'll pretty much be like Belgium, uh, which also has been just basically out of control for the past. Uh, Oh, past couple of years where they just, you know, they can't form coalitions, stuff keeps falling apart. Um, but there's lots of opportunity. The, the main thing, though, the main thing is what would be great if they could achieve one thing is a sweeping change throughout the justice system. They have to kick all of those pedophiles out, every single one of them, because those guys basically they stay, you know, unless unless the new government comes in and says, OK, you're out, you're out, you're out. These guys are not party affiliated. Um, so that's what really has to happen because, oh, my God. I mean, I've just been, not, you know, whenever something like this happens, people start bringing up uh, weird things that are going on that the government has been in, in, in control of. And, and the Justice Department in Gitmo Nation Lowlands is just so corrupt and so blackmailed because of all this, you know, all this weird sex stuff that they're into. 
And I'm not afraid to say it because, I mean, the, you know, they've admitted it. They admit it. Just now it gets suppressed in the media, but they've admitted it in writing. It's uh, it's sickening. So that that's what ha- that's really what has to change for anything to really change in that country. But we'll see. I mean, I uh, I don't know. I think you need some kind of balance with the Geert Wilders, uh, not to balance him, but to balance uh, the people who uh, who are following him and who want him to win. You need some. Just it's good to have some balance, like you know, like crackpot and buzzkill. So you know, it's easy to go overboard one way or the other, and. Um, you know, it'll be interesting to see who they can get in. But without a doubt, these guys, the PVV will win the election. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I guarantee you that. Well, we'll see when they ever have the election. It, it, it's a, it, uh, I think it's the law. It's the, some form of constitutional thing. They have, to, they have to have it within 83 days. So it, it'll happen. It will happen. So another thing that cropped up this week on our, on our no agenda agenda is the uh is this crazy article that you read it i read it has been floating around there's a bunch of discussions about you know they apparently the israeli mossad had decided to go to dubai and with a team of them and again kill some guy yeah and, and, they, and, they, and got, they used fake passports they used fake passports from mostly from britain which worked the british because they were you know something they somehow found out about it the uh, and then meanwhile all the activity of these guys was captured on the hotel cams and they found you know all of them or they, they didn't caught any of them of course and but they put it all on the internet so people can watch youtube and see how an assassination works yeah. <laughs> and then here wait here, here's how it works doom to doom to doom to doom it's real simple so and then so the economist has this article which we do have a link to in the show notes that discusses the uh the whole situation in a in such a weird matter of fact way that it left both uh both of us and I think stunned. anyone who reads this article slightly stunned yeah because you know there's a, let me see read the relevant passage from this because it's it's not you know it it this is now a part of the way things work, um, uh, where, where, where well, for example, it? the Israeli security, this is from the article, the Israeli security services have never voiced any moral doubts about targeted assassinations, blah, blah, blah. And then they talk about some bungles in the past. Um, apparently all these things have been overly documented. And then they talk about the United States being, you know, Here Ronald is. Reagan is the one who passed the law saying, no, none of these is this because he found out about it. And he said, no, we don't want this. Uh, we want to be out of the assassination picture. Yeah. But apparently... On February 3rd, Dennis Blair, the director of national intelligence, told Congress that American forces might sometimes seek permission to kill a citizen of the United States if he was a terrorist. This followed a report that Barack Obama had authorized an attack on Anwar al-Awlaki, a radical American imam in Yemen. Um, and this is the disturbing part is where this is the economist and there's not like a little line after it that says um, the constitutional correctness of this is in question or something to that ilk. I mean, if all of a sudden and we know that the Patriot Act made it possible for anyone to be deemed an enemy combatant of the state, which what we're doing right now, John, the very fact that we are talking about the government in negative light could be deemed 
uh, we could be deemed as enemy combatants. Yeah, luckily we're low on the list. Yeah, I don't. <laughs> let's let's not grow the audience. This is a bad idea. Um, you know, we could be deemed terrorists, and therefore we could legally be killed. You know, with, without I mean, without any uh, what is it called? Uh, oh yeah, due process, which is it's nuts. And I and I and I've been doing some uh, some research into this as to how exactly this permission is obtained and how it works. And I got something here from. Uh, ABC News, and uh, this all kind of started with um, with the waterboarding. Uh, who was that lawyer? John Yu, I think his name was. Yeah, it's from the University of California, of all places. Yeah, so you know this guy. This is the guy who um, basically he's a lawyer, so he reads the law. He's a professor. He, uh, isn't he a lawyer as well? Yeah, no, he's yeah. a law professor. Right. So uh, he reads the law and he interprets it by saying, well, you know, it seems like you can basically waterboard people and it's okay. Because that's what the law is, you know, it's interpretation of language. And uh, it, it goes even further, um, uh, actually further by going back, uh, he did an interpretation when Bush was president and he said that basically, if the president wants to, he can approve taking out an entire village. He can approve a massacre. And uh, the Obama administration basically let these lawyers off the hook, even though we all said, oh, well, waterboarding, that's not cool, you know. But the guys who said it was cool, they're okay. You know, they, they, they'll leave them in. They, they, they can just hang around. That's not a problem. And, and, it's, and it's frightening and so here it is, when the president wants to kill an American citizen, he has to ask permission of the National Security Council. Who's running the place? So, uh, well, that's a good question. The National Security Council consists of uh, the vice president, secretary of state, and the secretary of the treasury. So there you go. That's Biden, Clinton, and uh, Timmy, Timmy Geithner the Secretary of Defense, the Assistant to the President for National Security Affairs, the Chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, and the Assistant to the President for Economic Policy. Isn't that uh, Christy Romer? Isn't that that school teacher? She's, she's now on the death panel. It's like these, Unbelievable. These yeah, people, this is the death panel. Yeah, this is the real death panel, and these people are going to... Yeah, I think we should kill him. It reminds me of that scene in Casino where they're, where they're starting to murder everybody. Right. And say, yeah, I love the guy, and, but we got to kill him. And the guy and he said, yeah, no, he's a good guy. He's not going to talk to you. And it goes around the table to the one guy at the end who's the real the boss of the boss. He says, eh, why take a chance? Yeah, we got to take him out. Um, great article in uh, Salon magazine or Salon.com referring back to... Um, the big snafu that uh, Alexander Haig, who passed away yesterday, uh, made when uh, Ronald Reagan uh, was shot. I'm in charge. <laughs> yeah, he said, I know, I'm in control here in the White House, I'm which he control. probably was. <laughs> you know, but that was like, that, that was basically his downfall. But, you know, you said it right, John. Who the hell is in charge right now in, in the White House? So here's something that, you know, I'm living in, uh, in La La Land. And I wake up Friday morning, and, the, and it's all over the, briefly, because, of course, there's a lot of distraction going on, which we'll get to. Um, there were 21 marijuana dispensaries were, were, uh, were raided. 
In L.A.? Yeah, 21. Well, they make the news up here. No, of course not. It, I mean, it was all about the, uh, about the IRS uh, kamikaze pilot and the Winter Olympics. But yeah, 21 dispensaries. I mean, wait a minute. The president specifically said, lay off, leave them be, back off. And the DEA, they're not listening. They don't give a crap. They've got their own, they've got their own agenda. They're just like, oh, let's go roll in. They probably ran out of marijuana brownies. They needed to bake some more. I, I don't know what's going on, but it's nuts. It's nuts. 21 dispensaries just rolled right in. Not a problem. Well, you know, this is going to just make, this is a good thing. Explain. It's going to charge up the electorate when the, when the marijuana initiative comes into play and bring this thing to a head. We'll pass this law and then see what happens. Yeah, you think so? Full legalization. Then we'll see what the, if the federal government's going to push around California. Well, I think it's going to encourage people to vote yes, and who may be on the border, on the borderline, or, or on the on the uh, you know fence pole sitting, or whatever you call it, fence sitting on the fence. Well, it seems that that literally no one is in control right now. It just it you know it seems like the CIA is doing whatever they want. They they're knocking people off left and right. You know, they're helping everybody out to kill people. We got drones overhead, you know, zapping people in the middle of the night. We've got the DEA running around doing whatever they want. Yeah, it's just it's crazy. Yeah, well, if it, Obama says they were going to stop and they didn't stop, there's something wrong. Uh, yeah. By the way, there's a bunch of this stuff going on <coughs> in what I call the pot wars. And now there was an article that just came out. It's actually, I think, about five or six days ago. Um First U.S. clinical trials in more than two decades on the medical benefits of marijuana confirm that pot is effective in reducing muscle spasms associated yeah. with multiple sclerosis, sclerosis. Yeah, and that. pain caused by certain neurological injuries or illnesses, according to a report on, issued on, Mon on last Wednesday. Well, you know, one of our friends, uh, mutual acquaintances, uh, you know, I'm talking about from the office, you know, is... Uh is is sick, you know, has cancer, and and she's uh, she's smoking marijuana, and it's really helping her. And I talked to her the other day, and she's like, you know, thank God for for this. You well, know? that's a good thing. Yeah, because you know she got chemo and radiation, and she's like, yeah, you know, stuff makes you nauseous. Yeah, and you know, and she said, you know, they they give you all this these pills, and it you know it just makes you even feel even worse. She said, I don't take the pills against the nausea. I just, you know, smoke a joint or make some tea out of it, and it's and it really makes her, really gets her through, you know. Yeah, I know. Well, I think this is going to be, this is going to come to a head, and if, if they're going to, you know, crack down just because they're a bunch of thugs uh, on, on something that's, that the state of California has decided is legal for its citizens, uh, and then the federal government's going to come in. This is this is not acceptable. Now, there's one thing I wanted to a uh, little throwback to episode 175 from last Thursday, John. Um, I told you that the video from C-SPAN had disappeared from its archives, where Patrick F. Kennedy literally admits that um, someone in the a person in the intelligence community had essentially let the crotch bomber through by not allowing the State Department to revoke his visa. Uh, believe it or not, thank you to all our producers, at least seven or eight people uh, sent me. The video was actually available on the, uh, the State Department's own website, although it is absolutely no longer available in the C-SPAN archive, which is weird. 
Um, it is uh, it is available uh, from the State Department itself, and I just wanted to let you hear exactly how they talk. This gives you a little bit of an idea as to how out of control this is, and how you know it's just like people are overruling one another, and there's all kinds of agendas that are being. And before before you play it, uh, this is a long uh, uh, meeting. Oh yeah, it was it was like two and a half hours, and it and all throughout until you got to Kennedy, there was people that nobody seemed to know, know this piece of information, and they were all saying all kinds of, including Napolitano. Yeah, oh yeah, Napolitano, Napolitano either doesn't know anything or just says nothing, but she probably knows nothing about anything. I get that feeling. She looked like a robot. She's looking up and left. And I don't know what she's looking. She's looking at the sky a lot. It's a very strange uh, testimony. <laughs> she's, she's looking for the drone. Oh, crap. I she better not like say a, anything. She looks like a dolphin coming in and out of the water. <laughs> she does. Yeah. Uh, anyway, so let's uh, it's a, it's like a two minutes, but it's worth listening to uh, to this. So my understanding is, even though this was a, an unfortunate situation, uh, this is the uh, the committee chairman. The president took responsibility, and that's good. Uh, but the question in the minds of a lot of us is, is that good enough? Now, my next question to each one of you is if that situation occurred today, would it be any different? By the way, listen to this. This is the quality of the recording that we get. I mean, this is not my fault. This is literally the, the quality that, that is put out there. I mean, it's not like they're intending anyone to use this for anything. On, on the State Department, it would be different, Mr. Chairman. We had a process that had been worked out with the interagency community, and we have discovered that we did not have sufficient check marks in it. There was no requirement in our previous um, rubric when we reported on the visa viper, meaning of somebody coming into an American embassy and saying we have concerns about a third party. We reported that immediately, but we did not have in that process a check mark that this individual had a U.S. visa. Uh, Are they doing this on like a clipboard? A check mark. This is like this is like crazy. It's like so you come someone so the guy's dad comes in and says, Hey, the guy's a nutball, he's gonna do something and they're like, Oh, okay, we'll check that off on the list here. I cannot tell you why that wasn't included. I can tell you probably because we had already passed to the law enforcement intelligence community the list of everyone who gets a visa on a daily basis. We have now added that to our process. So any person who comes in the embassy and makes a report of terrorist concern, not only to report that individual in our visa viper message to the community, but we add then this person has a United States visa, and we've also enhanced the name-checking capability in that system to make sure that if there's a misspelling... Okay, so... Uh, here it comes. Right, so he has a visa. So what does that do? In the process, does it revoke the visa? Does it... We, we, as I mentioned in my statement, Mr. Chairman, if we unilaterally revoked a visa, and there was a case recently up... Here it is. We have a request from a, a, from a law enforcement agency to not revoke the visa. We, we came across information. We said, this is a dangerous person. We were ready to revoke the visa. We then went to the community and said, should we revoke this visa? And one of the members, and we'd be glad to give you that out in private, said, please do not revoke this visa. We there have- you go. 
So I think that's a huge story. I and wonder who it was. Well, he, he was he wasn't going to he wasn't going to divulge that in this in this committee. So I'm going to do it in private. Yeah. So it had to be CIA. Of course. Who else? Or or FBI, maybe or. But who you know, knows? Every time I see something like this and you have this whole process, is it possible that the kid, this is the, the, this is the, the kind of, I'm playing your role here. Yeah, it's all right. Every time I see one of these situations and there's a, a botched attempt and everybody knew about it and there's a strange Indian man at the counter and there's somebody was filming it and somebody else was arrested that was on the plane that nobody's followed up on, which was witnessed by a number of people that were put in the, you know, because everybody on the plane was put into a warehouse for a while and, 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 and one guy guy some other indian guy was arrested and taken out no one's ever said anything about that meanwhile this other this kid this uh kid Punk. went to he's, Yemen. he's like a 23 year old is it possible that this was really an extraction an extraction of the kid he was sent to yemen maybe the whole thing was a scam there were the kid never was a, a terrorist no. he was just part of a, a, a bigger scheme to arrest this other guy you know what you know what part. i'm missing i'm i'm missing uh you know remember how um uh, Colin Powell held up that vial of anthrax and like, you know, this much can and he should be someone should be sitting there on the panel holding up a pair of smelly half burnt underpants going, this could kill us all. This is the danger, you know, like some poop hanging off and stuff. No, there's none of that. There's none of that, except for that bogus picture that uh, was that ABC had a picture of some unburnt underwear. Yeah, which yeah, is, I, know. I mean, this, this, I mean, you know, I was talking to uh, to Doctor Dave on Friday, you know, and and, <laughs> and he so he finally figures it out. He says, "Wait a minute, you actually you don't actually believe that the government was involved in bringing down the the, the twin towers, do you?" And I said, uh, "Yeah, I, I have to say I'm a nine eleven truther, and I got into it through uh, pilots for nine eleven truth dot org." And he said, "Dude, it's impossible. There, I mean, there's no way that such a big lie could be covered up." And I said, "Dave, you're a smart guy. The biggest lies are the ones that are easiest to cover up. If the lie is so big that people can't imagine that the government would do anything horrible, you know, like kill six million Jews, I'll just make something up." You know, if you make the lie big enough, then yeah, people don't believe it. And it's hard for people to realize it. Now, I know you're not exactly on board with the whole truther thing. Uh, no, but I am, I am a skeptic about the World Trade Center 7 going down like a rock. Well, very interesting. Uh, and this, of course, got no play whatsoever. But on the, uh, the 19th, so that was what, uh, Friday... 1,000 members of the uh, architect and engineers for 9-11 Truth held a press conference um, essentially saying just that, that there were unanswered, they went to, they had like 28 locations in, in seven different countries. And they all went, people went out in mass and said, look, there's, all these engineers, all these architects say this could not happen. These buildings being pulverized, not to dust, but to powder, absolute powder. You know, pieces of debris being shot out of the building, you know, at 600 miles an hour. And, of course, WTC Seven won't go away. World Trade Center 7 uh, falling at, fr at free fall acceleration. Hey, by the way, you know, I was watching the uh, the IRS guy in the airplane. That that building was on fire like it was no tomorrow. They couldn't explain all the flames, and that thing didn't collapse. No. 
How did World Trade Center 7 collapse? Because from what? A flying banana? I mean, it doesn't make any sense. (laughs) Flying banana. Well, please go to uh, AE911.org. And uh, and take a look at some of the excellent research they've done, the powerpoints, the videos, the presentations, and these are engineers. You know, these it, engineers of the world can definitely get into this and understand the science. Oh, wait a minute! I should actually say that the uh, science is in. Um. It's, uh, it's, yeah, I mean, this well, we're talk- well, since you got onto this topic, yes, I think we might as well bring up one of our, um, uh, um, <clears throat> producers sent us a note about the Texas election. Yeah. Uh, we, so this, I think this does tie into what happened with the, uh, with the Austin Kamikaze pilot. And I have a lot of questions about what happened there. I've been a long-time listener of the show, and I have to say that you've all been uh, spot-on with your suspicions of Glenn Beck and Sarah Palin. Up until about a week ago, I was a fan of both Sarah Palin and Glenn Beck. I've really enjoyed Sarah Palin's <laughs> dude, conservative dude, don't, as well. Don't, don't do the Texas accent. That's unnecessary. Well, Texas. I, I talk to him with teeth. I could be like a rich Texas. <laughs> Every person kind of image. I also enjoyed many of Beck's rantings against progressivism. And, and by the way, he was uh, did an interesting job at the recent meeting. Uh, we'll talk about that, too. Progressivism, as well as the support for the Tea Parties. I've even thought of Beck as a modern-day Paul Revere. As of this past week, all that changed. I believe a majority of people like myself who identify themselves with the Tea Party movement here in Texas now feel very much betrayed by both Beck and Palin. Here's what's going on. The Texas governorship is up for election this coming November, and the primary elections on March 2nd on the Republican side of the ticket, we have Rick Perry, Kay Bailey Hutchinson, and Deborah Medina. In full disclosure, I'm supporting Medina. I also believe that many people who associate themselves with the Tea Party as well as Ron Paul's campaign for liberty support Medina also. In fact, Medina worked in the campaign for liberty before running for governor. Blah, blah, blah. blah. You guys recall Sarah Palin speech at the Tea Party convention where she encouraged the common people to step up and run for office against the career politicians. Kay's been a senator since 1983. Rick is running for an unprecedented third term. I believe most would consider Medina to fit the description, yet Palin goes and endorses Perry. Some may call it quid pro quo for endorsing the McCain-Palin presidential ticket. As for Beck, he interviewed Deborah Medina this past week and accused oh, he her of a 9-11 truther. truther. Yeah, I know. The likes of Van Jones. Medina didn't do a good job of answering the questions, but tried to clarify herself on subsequent radio shows. The first interview came along was just enough to irritate many Tea Partiers, but Beck kept on accusing her on other shows. The local radio station, which carries Beck, is home to a couple of local conservative radio personalities who have all had their lines lit up this past week from people who are livid at both Beck and Palin. Many people are questioning why Beck is even going after a little-known Texas gubernatorial candidate on his national TV show in the first place. That and on. Yeah, and and I think that this. Um, so outside of why or why not or even if uh, if Joe Stack was even flying the plane, and there's so many things that that are just unknown, uh, and so many really weird things like the hazard materials team just happened to be across the street the minute uh, the minute that the uh, that the plane flew in. Did you know that? No, another yeah. one of these coincidences. Yeah, no, actually, I think not. In fact, I uh, think not. If you want, I can actually. Uh, there's a piece of audio, of uh, a video. Here it is. Um, let's just play this. Ooh, wow! I got a YouTube error that's out of control. That's new. Wow, YouTube is down. 
Well, I guess you're not going to be able to play it, eh? Wow. No, it says, sorry, something went wrong. A team of highly trained monkeys has been dispatched to deal with <laughs> this situation. Also, please include the following information in your error report. And then there's like a whole long thing of hex. I wonder if this video has just been taken down. Hold on. Let me just see, let me see if all of YouTube is down. Hold on. That's interesting. Because this was a, a news report. This is what I always... Yeah, but it was a, hard, a video. Yeah, but it was a video. You know what am I going to do? I always hard to record everything. Okay, well that seems to be working. So YouTube itself isn't down. Hold on. Wow, I'm getting a 500 internal server error on the actual video that has an eyewitness at the scene saying, uh, "Yeah," and she, she doesn't say hazard material. She actually says, "Oh yeah, the hazmat team was just across the street here." Who who uses that? Who uses that term hazmat? Is that like? Pros. Yeah, thank you. So now all of a sudden this uh, video is getting a 500 internal server error. Let me just uh, post this into the noagendachat.com chat room so people can see if they can get a... There you go. There's the URL, guys. You go and uh, we'll have the NAM work on it, see if we can get a copy of that video. Um, so anyway, outside of that, the way it's being used, because... The, you know, so the Tea Party, Tea Partyers, there's no real actual Tea Party... You know, one of their main drivers was, hey, end the Fed, stop the tax, you know, end all this crazy stuff. So this guy is being associated with Tea Party uh, because of his rant against the IRS, which, by the way, a guy who does embedded systems uh, doesn't seem like a guy who would post something in Microsoft Word on his website. You know, that that was very strange to me. Um, and... Deborah Medina is, you know, she's basically on that same path. Although she expressed, I listened to the interview with, with Glenn Beck. She expressly says that, you know, she, you know, the 9-11 is a federal issue. You know, she's concerned about, uh, about Texas issues. And, you know, it's like, it, well, uh, Glenn Beck launches in and said, well, if someone was a 9-11 truther, would you uh, still associate yourself with him? She said, look, I'm, I'm not a mind control person. People can think what they want to think. Uh, but what I did is I did have a listen to Alex Jones's show um, Friday. Uh, I guess I heard it Saturday, the repeat, because he's in Austin and he had a lot of very interesting inside information. He he's had Deborah Medina on his show, uh, and she sounds very competent. I have to tell you, she sounds very very smart. And of course, Texas is probably one of the states that, if they wanted to, could secede from the union. I mean, they have a very strong uh, state I'd like constitution. To see that. Oh, wouldn't it be fun though? Wouldn't it? Yeah, wouldn't it, it would give be us fun? But they wouldn't manage it. Hmm. I mean, I know what the law says and how they, how they did the deal, but it's not going to happen. They could. They couldn't do it if they wanted to. Really? No, oh, the hammer would fall. Forget well, it. Well, what is the whole thing about the the Tenth Amendment then? I mean, is, is that not real? Is it? Does it? Does it not hold water? I don't think it does. I think it's just a dream. It's just a, it's a, it's a, it's kind of a wishful thinking that you could do this kind of thing. It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. It wouldn't be able to be. Wouldn't be. Nobody could do it. Did you see? Um, did you see the uh, Newsweek article about the top ten conspiracies? No, but before you get into that, let's finish the Medina con conversation because okay. no, I, I want to mention something kind of funny. Okay. And we're going to talk about this a little more later, which is the, uh, the just ended like a day or so ago. The Conservative Political Action Convention. Oh, the CPAC. Yeah. CPAC. Where, where, and I, might, big, and, and, I, I might add Ron Paul 
won the strope the straw yeah. poll vote by thirty three percent. Amazing. Yeah, I know. People like Newt Gingrich got like three percent or four percent. The whole thing was hilarious, and then nobody wanted to talk about this. You know, they had all these different speakers, and the thing ended with a Glenn Beck speech, which which was quite well written. I don't know who wrote it, but it was well written, and Beck performed very well, even though there's a lot of contradictory stuff in the things he said. And by the way, I watched Beck's show this last Friday, and I think he really loads up on the Friday show. So if people want to watch Beck, maybe you should watch the Friday show. It was absolutely a, a were, I mean, I have to give Fox credit. Um, my son, who's not a, a you know, is, who's not a conservative by any means, uh, my no, you know, he's JC, a commie. He loves. He thinks that the Riley Show is a is a work of art the way it's pre- presented. And but I think the Glenn Beck Show and with Beck just by himself carrying an hour is one of the really fine presentations and this last Friday show was absolutely fantastic so I was interested in hearing a speech at the CPAC and it was a real interesting speech and I, I have a clip from it later you know um, you know our theory of course on this uh, program is that uh, the Democrats actually run Fox News and the more I think about it the more that um, the Tea Party or the Tea Party Nation I should say which of course is the Sarah Palin fraction uh, pulls away from the Republicans, the better it is for Democrats. Oh yeah, I mean this Split is the, it's, party. The, yeah. It makes like it makes like perfect sense for for all of this to be going on on Fox, so that the Democrats, as long as they kind of stay together, they'll they'll you know they still have a good shot of winning of winning the the midterms. Yeah, and if you remember, I can't. I, we talked about this on one of the shows where they had a bunch of these characters, these ex Republicans that are supposedly part of the Tea Party movement. They they went up and they had a an, I forgot what election was. I have to go look it up again because we talked about. It, I forgot all about it. But there was an election that was essentially split because some guy ran as a, as a conservative and and the Republicans held this seat in Congress for forever and they ran this crackpot con, so so called conservative conservative against the Republican who was a shoe in and they split the party and the, the Democrat got into this into this position that hasn't been held by a Democrat forever. And so I think there's something like that going on. And yeah. this is like part of it. And this obviously Medina is a, is, a, is a roadblock for some unknown reason. So they're ganging up on her. And I got to tell you, I've heard her speak. I like her. You know, she she actually gets the real numbers on the finances, and she's you know she got a no nonsense attitude. I, th- I think she's pretty interesting. Um, thanks to the uh, the NAM, uh, we have the uh, the audio and the video now of this eyewitness, as reported by Austin uh, the uh, Austin NBC affiliate, uh, and this so they're standing literally across the road from the IRS building. And listen to this, uh, this eyewitness. Is that the Home Depot parking lot where you were? It wasn't actually. I was over in the World Market parking lot, so it was about the same angle, but but not quite quite that spot. Okay, okay. and your name, ma'am? Megan Riley. Megan Riley. How do you spell that last name? Um, R-I-L-E-Y. R-I-L-E-Y, is that right? Okay, great. Uh, Well, Megan, uh, tell me what you saw this morning. Um, Yeah, well, a a little bit before 10 o'clock, as I said, I was over there near the the Mopac in 183, and um, the plane came flying over from, it looked like, pretty much straight from the east. It was kind of curving a little bit. Um, nothing, it looked like there wasn't anything wrong with it. The, it sounded like it was running fine. The engines weren't smoking or anything. Um, but it was really low, um, almost to the power lines. And it was um, clipping really, really sharply to the left. Um, 
And honestly, we kind of thought it was somebody just messing around, flying too low, trying to scare their co-pilot or whatnot. Um, and so we heard the explosion. Um, and we looked out over here, and the siding of this building had fallen down. Um, so, yeah. Um, Describe for me what that... It had to be surreal. It definitely was, because... Like I said, we thought it was just somebody joking around. We didn't think the plane was actually crashing when we saw it. And it was so low that it was kind of one of those things, like, I, I didn't see the person, but it was close enough that you could have seen the guy in it. So. Describe for me what you're, what you're feeling now as you see this. It's, I don't, it's very surreal. It doesn't, it, I mean, it seems like one of those things you see on TV, not something you actually see. Um, what comes. are you thinking about for the people that are inside that building right now? I've, you know, I've, I've heard most of them are okay, but, I mean, a plane just hit their building. That's just, that's ridiculous. And, it, I mean, it's 10 o'clock in the morning on a weekday. There, there must have been tons of people in there. And, and did you did you actually see the plane flying across 183? On. How, how low Get did you it. How low would you estimate that plane was? I don't know. Well, like I said, when it was, when it was back there, which is, what, half a mile, something, um, it was already, like, we were worried it was going to hit the trees over there. So, I mean, it was already coming in way too low. So, whatever was going on, it didn't get out of it. So, maybe 20, 30 feet above the ground? What do you think? Um, I'd, I'd say where I saw it, at least, it was probably about 50. Okay. But... Okay. Uh, is there anything else that you would like to say to, to, um, after the, seeing this this morning? I, I guess, sorry, the one thing I would like to say is that I know the, the fire department got here real fast because they actually had a, an engine sitting over there that just happened to be doing something with hazmat. So there you they go. were over here like right away. So he actually sets her up for the question. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, I forgot to say the thing that I was supposed to say about the hazmat yeah, crew over there. Yeah, it seems like he kept waiting for her to say that. Yeah, it was like, where's the setup already? And, you know, she's like, I didn't see the pilot, but I it was close enough to see him. Was there actually a pilot on board? You know, well, you know, never, she never said. She said she could have seen yeah. if they were close enough. She never said she did see him. And, and I went to the, uh, the Wayback Machine because, of course, this website uh, by Joe Stack was taken down. By the FBI, which makes no sense, by the way. And if you look at the Wayback Machine, uh, he did embedded, embedded systems for like Teledyne and uh, you know a lot of uh, defense-type contractors, including some GPS flight-based navigation embedded system. So I don't know, you know, that's just, you know, why didn't he lit his house on fire, but his wife and his kid weren't in there. And now there's a report from his daughter who lives in Norway from his first marriage who says, this doesn't sound like my dad. This, this note isn't written by him. So there's all kinds of weirdness around that. But I, I cannot help but think that we said something was bound to happen, that there's something is going to discredit. I actually said, you know, it might be an attempt on the president's life. Something is bound to happen. And while we were on the air talking about it, this takes place and it's immediately pinned on, uh, what is it called, Homeland, homegrown terrorism. Yeah, and they backed off on that, though, immediately. Uh, they, now, they know. first they started, they first started off as homegrown terrorists and they were pushing that real hard. And then they pushed it toward the Tea Party. And so now you had everybody call him just a nutball and typical, you know, trying to so you're trying to associate the Tea Party people with nutballs. This is a bit. This is a main meme that's been going on. Even O'Reilly and Beck and everybody else have been saying, well, there's a certain percentage of them that are crazy. And the funny thing is about this Tea Party thing. I was thinking about this this week is that 
I was that was watching some of the protests, and it was like I'm watching these protests, and I'm thinking these protests. Are, the only thing that's weird about them is that they're being done by conservatives who very rarely carry signs in protest. But if these were all, if say this was a left-wing anti-war move protest from like during the Iraqi invasion with all those answer people and all the other crazy kinds of signage that were going that was going on against George Bush and all the nuttiness. I mean, it's the same. Protest events are always the same. They got a bunch of screwy people there because they're just you know two, four, six, eight who. Do we appreciate types? You know, what do we want? What do we want? We want it now, and all this kind of thing. It, it's basically there's so much imagination and creativity, isn't there? Yeah, there's same old, you know, jingles, and it's just being done by different people. They're no different than the left wing protesters in that regard. So this trying to paint them with this brush, we're doing everything we can to make it say, wait a minute, you guys aren't supposed to be the ones ever protesting. Get back to work and let the left wingers do their thing, and then you get go back to your homes. Yeah, you nutball, <laughs> nutballs. Oh man. So, uh, so it's, it, it's, it's, you know, it, on the one hand, you know, you said something interesting. I, w- I was reviewing, uh, the last show and I do this. I, you know, I, I, we really work hard on the program and we think a lot about what we're saying, what we hit, what we don't hit. We try to keep it within some reasonable time frame. And you said, you know, they're going too fast. And I don't know if it was something co- you said consciously, but you know, it does seem like things are being pushed ahead. Like, like there is no central control anymore, and things are just bopping around. We see, you know, the cabinet falls in the Netherlands. Uh, we're seeing, you know, this this Newsweek uh, article, which I'd like to get to, where Newsweek, you know, this is Newsweek who are basically saying, you know, all these conspiracy theories, you know, they're crap with with no evidence, by the way, to the contrary. And then all these things that are taking place, you know, this this. Austin kamikaze bomber could easily be some form of false flag. There's all the stuff is just happening too quickly. And it seems like the wheels are coming off the thing. Either that or, you know, the whole, the sky is going to fall. I mean, it's one or the other, but it feels like someone's lost basic control over what's supposed to happen. And maybe it's just greed and they're trying to get everything rolling as quickly as possible for, you know, before the inevitable happens. I don't know. It just, it, it feels unsettling. Yeah, and of course they're doing the best job they can of of coming up with distracting news. Uh, Tiger Woods's uh, confession. Oh my God! What what was that all about? I mean, that's that was without a doubt the, the uh, distraction of the week. Hey, on no agenda. You know, Riley. Sorry. Da- damn near did an entire show about it. I know. It's like. Why, you know, and it's just it's just it, 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 the upset, you know, and it, we're programmed. We're the people are programmed to care about this. And by the way, if you're Tiger Woods, and that, and you can choose from all the porn stars in the world, that is not the one to choose. Well, not only that, but all of them. My wife was pointing this out. She says, you know, I can see why Ellen was irked, not because she was having an affair, but because of the choices. Mm -hmm. It's like an insult to her. Yeah. And and the work that came up by identifying all these women that he apparently had was skanks. 
Yeah, big time skanks, but just nasty. I mean, not even sexy, not even hot. You know, the one who came on with her own press conference right after Tiger Woods, you know, her teeth are all jutting out and stuff. It's like, yeah, I mean, I've seen better looking porn stars. And by the way, she's not a porn star. She's a porn actress. I never heard of this woman. And I'm, uh, you know, I'm pretty reliably informed. Just to say the least. Yeah, yeah. So here, here, this may be a clue, John, as to what's happening. This is an amazing story coming from businessinsider.com. Apparently, many uh, Citigroup customers, so I guess Citibank, <laughs> etc., on their monthly statements, there was a notice. Now, I, now, now John, you and I both have a, a different bank that flies way under the radar of everything, including TARP. Um, this is the notice that was printed on uh, Citigroup customers' statements. And I quote, Effective April 1st, 2010, we reserve the right to require seven days advance notice before permitting a withdrawal from all checking accounts. While we do not currently exercise this right and, do not have, and have not exercised it in the past, we are required by law to notify you of this change. Seven days advance notice before being able to take money out of your checking account? What about writing a check? You can't write a check? I guess not. Uh, well, they can delay it up for up to seven days. Effective April 1st, 2010. So uh, that's weird. That is weird. You know, and, and, and I would take my money out of Citibank right now if I had any there. Immediately. Yeah. Seven days. That's yeah, crazy. Citibank should, there should be a run on the bank as we speak. Maybe, or maybe it was done to create a run on the bank. I don't know, but you know, this I have not seen this anywhere except uh, BusinessInsider.com, which I, you know, it seems like a pretty. You know, the whole banking thing is you know they they're gone out of control with the credit cards. They're they're get you know they're, there's story after story. In fact, they have a couple. I didn't use them as clips. I'm trying to do them on Thursday. Story after story about how these guys are basically and and these and these stories are handled like oh and the banks have decided to raise the interest rates to thirty percent and you can now from the minute you buy a purchase you have to start paying interest. So there's no grace period and going on and on and that's just the way it is. Instead of saying this is gouging. Yeah. Does anybody notice that the banks or these these credit card companies in particular are gouging the customers? I was having a think out uh, outside the other day. I was laying in the sun uh, here at the hilltop watchtower and uh, watching hawks circling overhead, which is just beautiful, by the way. To see these Cal they're California hawks, right? Till they go after your, they go right after your eyes. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> to scratch them out. Maybe they had transmitters. I don't know. But I'm thinking, like you know, all these. All these people, you know, the whole thing would be like, oh, you, you don't ever want to declare bankruptcy because, you know, you, you'll destroy your credit. And I'm thinking to myself, who needs credit? You know, stop with the credit already. You don't need that car. You know, whatever you've got is fine. You know, just save your money, set a little bit of it aside, and then you can upgrade to something bigger later on. If everyone just en masse right now today walked away from their mortgages, just said, I'm not paying anymore. I'm not paying for that credit card. I'm not paying for, you know, th there's not enough law enforcement to actually do anything about it. If we all just said, you know what? Screw you. I'm not going to do it. You know, they can't come in and kick everybody out. Of course, we could never orchestrate something like that. But at the end of the day, who needs credit? Where's this magical thing coming from that you need credit? I don't need credit. 
I spend what I have and I well, stay yeah, within yeah, my means. Do you, don't, do you have trouble getting loans of any sort if you don't have a, a credit record? You I know, but have, you don't need. I want a, what, you to be in debt. But yeah, right. But what do you need a loan for? You don't need a loan. You make money. You save your money for a rainy day. You pay your rent. You pay your basic food. And then what do you need a loan for? For what? Well, let me ask you this. You know, somebody wrote in on the uh, uh, complaining about uh, our. Uh, donation requests saying why is adam adam just bought a huge mansion in southern california what, what did what did you pay for the, the mansion there adam dude You're i'm rent, renting. i'm renting it i'm renting it and, and should i tell you something uh because i have no credit in this country because i left in 1999 and i would have to build up credit again so I have no, I have zero credit, and it, you know the only thing I can show is investors who invested in my company. But I, I cannot get a credit card. I can't. I've been declined for every credit card, and I yeah, just well, get, you can use a debit card from yeah, the uh, bank you go to. Yeah, and I gave up because I'm like, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna lower myself to prove to these guys that I'm credit worthy. I don't give a crap, and I don't need credit because I stay within my means. And I, and and I'll tell you something. The landlady that we're renting this place from, she met us, and she said. No problem. Uh, give me the deposit, and you can move in on the fifteenth. And she did no credit check. And I and I said honestly, you know, if you want to do a credit check on me, you, it's going to be difficult because I have none. She said, okay, I trust you. And that's that. We have to go back to that. We have to go back to those days where you, you know. And and by the way, if I don't pay, she'll come here and she'll shoot me, which is probably the right thing to do. So we have to we have to stop thinking that we this artificial idea that we need to have credit and we need to have loans. And yeah, I didn't buy no damn mansion. Okay, it's a house from 1930. You know, the windows are scratched. It's in a nice location, absolutely. But you know, I I, I I'm renting it, and I'm happy. And I'm happy. Shortly. And I don't feel less American. Yeah, we're gonna have a great party. I don't feel less American about it, about not owning it. That's another farce. I really don't. Yeah, and look at you. You own your house there in in Berkeley. You can't leave the damn place because you can't sell it. <laughs> in this market, yeah, you're right. You have to hang on to everything for a while. Yeah, I mean, you'd probably be underwater. I don't know if you have. I don't know anything about your financial status except that. No, I'm not you're underwater. Poor. I, see, the problem is, I because I've always been a writer, I've never been give, given the kind of credit rating that a normal working person has. So we've always had to put a lot of money down, and we've always been had to have. A, we don't have a like a stretched uh, uh, mortgage, so it's pretty hard to go underwater. So okay. So let me read this letter. Now, we're talking about uh, people donating to the show every so often. And we called out, I think, specifically India and France as just being kind of not, you know, too. Uh, well, they've never donated. We've had one. Don I mean, we got one guy. I think, one, for one from France, I think. One from India, one from France, maybe. Uh, okay, so it's a guy writes some Indian rights. Okay, I'll bite. I've heard your excoriate Indians for not listening or making contributions to your No Agenda podcast. I'm an India Indian from India, but I live in Los Angeles, an avid listener to your show. You guys are a bunch of nuts, cranks, and purport to call, call yourself geeks. 
Geez, I have yet to find anything useful in your show that would move me to make a contribution. I am optimistic, though, that one of these days, either you or Adam might say something that would make some sense to me. Maybe then I'll open my PayPal wallet. I doubt it. Tell Adam I like his earthquake machine rants. I had a theory at the time of the big Indian Ocean earthquake tsunami that was actually a manufactured earthquake whose goal was to tilt the Earth's axis to increase the Chandler wobble of the Earth's axis, which would cause some climate change, delaying the effects of global warming. And he thinks we're nuts. Yeah, really. <laughs> Even I didn't come up with that one. <laughs> so thanks for the podcast. One of these days, uh, you were hit a nerve with me, and I might move to donate. So I started looking into this, and I realized that first, I you know that India is notorious for being cheaper than the Scots, who are really? also, by the way, penny pinchers. And so there's like an there's a in the cricket world, there's a big scandal over a player skipping a charity match. I read in a couple of blogs. Let me read from Silicon India here in India. People keep the insides of their houses immaculately clean. This is written by an Indian, by the way. But the streets are strewn with garbage. It may seem like a small observation, but I think it says a lot about the Indian frame of mind. They are very attentive to their personal welfare. He goes on and he says, the effects of this self-centeredness are manifest in the conditions of India's higher education system. Unlike American alumni associations, yeah, who which millions. When the time is right, they expect students to fulfill their obligations with cash. Indian institutions rarely see returns for the top-notch and dirt-cheap education they provide. Grads from institutes like Harvard and Stanford send billions to their alma maters, and the Indians do not. Then there's a blog from Nadan, who is an American entrepreneur, and he makes this interesting uh Comment. He says when it he says when it comes to a key sign of our interest in community, the amount we give in charity, we Indians are among the most tight-fisted in the world. The U.S. has long been the most generous in terms of per capita donations and charity work. Our giving, on the other hand, pales next to Indonesia, Thailand, and most other Asian countries. So, essentially, the fact of the matter is, I should stop complaining about the Indians because they're never going to give anybody any money. They're just a bunch of cheap bastards. So that's just the way it is. Now, on top of that, you have the French who I've complained about. Can you play the Glenn Beck commentary? Yeah, I just wanted to say, uh, is this where the term Indian giver comes from? Or am I confused <laughs> no, with something no, else? No, I don't think so. <laughs> to me, that our government looks at the American people as the bad guy. We're not the bad guy. Stop penalizing us. Americans also don't need to be taught how to give. We don't need to be taught how to take care of each other or how to be- and This is from CPAC? Yeah, this is from CPAC. Yeah. Charitable. We're charitable automatically. Why? We're Americans. In 2008, the American people gave $307 billion in charity. It was the second year in the world. This is the last statistic that we have. The 2008, second year in a row that it was over $300 billion. Per capita, that's 10 times the giving power of the people of France. 10 times the amount. Don't tell me we need to be more like Europe. Europe should be looking over here. How do we do it? <laughs> We rock! Go USA! Fuck the world! Fuck the world! And of course, uh, we should play right after that. Shysters show up and take advantage of people's goodwill and generosity. <laughs> Our search and rescue team 
We just need cash. I know a lot of people want to send blankets or water. Fuck blankets. Just cash. send your cash. Send your cash. So the point is that the Indians are what they are, and the French are what they are, and that's just the way it is. What it I is, just yeah. Stop complaining about it. Yeah. However, so, we do have a lot of people who support our show um, in the only way that we are able to generate revenue, and we can't do this for free. This is what we're what we do, and what I hope to be doing for a long time. I hope it can be the only thing I'm doing. Right now, I'm supplementing my income by still pretending to work <laughs> at. Uh, at Mevio. I'm going up again on uh, Monday night. I'm going yep. up north. Yeah. Meeting? <laughs> yeah, of course. It was for the Tuesday meeting. Are you kidding me? <laughs> and uh and I and I have to say we're a long way off from it being sustainable, but uh we're doing better. Uh it's nice to see a couple of executive producers on each show and uh, just to show our and of course we had two nights today which is great. And to show our gratitude, we'd like to thank a number of people who helped us out uh, in this past week. Right. And there's also uh, people have, uh, we have a, a pro program that we're uh, developing to uh, do the stream. And so we're looking for money for that. And so a letter went out to our normal contributors and there'll be a, a, a follow-up letter. Cause there's still like 400 people who never opened this letter. Um, that will because uh, we're closing this deal at on the first of March and uh, uh, people who have had gotten some notes from people. Well, how come I didn't get the letter? I just gave you some money and I said, well, you'll get you'll get the second letter because I have to add to the mailing list the, all the new contributors. But I want to thank everybody who gives even the small amounts. And some people come up with some creative ways of getting rid of their PayPal account or they've got you know some money they found someplace or they you know sending us blankets. Even though we need cash. <laughs> we don't need blankets. We need cash. But, uh, Stop sending uh, your blankets. We really appreciate it. We got a lot, the supporters we have. We have some really strong supporters that give a lot. I mean, essentially, they give us money every month or two. And uh, we appreciate that. But we also appreciate the $5 a, a month donations, I think, that are important. Uh, and if you want to get... If you've been listening to the show and you get anything out of it, and I think we have a lot of good material and a good angle on things that make your cocktail party conversations much more interesting. Go to noagendashow.com or dvorak.org slash NA or channeldvorak.com slash NA and, and contribute. Uh, we would we do appreciate it. It does keep the show going. It keeps us doing more work uh, and uh, makes us feel better. And I have uh, another minor plea. Uh, in order for me to actually quit my J Dob, J Dob, your J Dob, it's like a. <laughs> Wait a minute, I've got, I've got that PCP laced uh, weed again. Hold on, this is bad. My day job. Um, if someone will buy my plane, and you can find it at tradewindsaviation.com. Uh, uh, some, yeah, no, there's lots of people listening to this. You know, I had, we had a couple nibbles this past week, and, and I need to get it sold pretty quickly because with this, uh, what's happening now, of course, is going to be a huge clampdown on general aviation because, oh, you know, we have to. You know, well, there's we, a sales pitch, Adam. Good work. No, no, <laughs> come on. Real pilots don't give a crap about it, but it's, it's going to hurt the price. And uh, I'm selling it pretty cheap as is. I just want to move the thing. Well, get rid make of the it. price go up. Sorry? And make make the price go up. I just want to get rid of it so I can quit. Okay, well get rid of it. Okay, trade win trade trade win. Trade okay? wins aviation. No, I'm not. I've been sick for the past five days, like some well. resurgence of the swine flu. Hey Adam, my name's Michael. I'm from Buffalo, New York. 
I wanted to let you know this show gets me through my days at work. I work at a porn shop and it's miserable. By the way, the stream's dead. Uh, no, it's not. Okay. I work at a porn shop and it's miserable, which doesn't sound right. But, ho- <laughs> <laughs> but hopefully I can make my way to college soon. Long story short, I'm 23. I skipped college to help my ex-stepfather with his mortgage. I play the show at work and customers always ask what station I'm listening to. My response is always, station, are you insane? This show would never be able to be broadcast on uh, on on Citadel. I don't know what that is. Then I point them in the local station. Then I point them in the right direction to you guys. Anyway, I feel terrible that I leech off the show and never donate. Well, you know what? You're going to get, he's like, I'm going to save up and he's going to get on a a plan. So I just thought it was kind of cool that we're uh, now being broadcast in a porn shop. And by the way, you won't have the ASCAP police pounding down your door for rebroadcasting anything because we encourage it. Yeah. You know it's illegal to do that with a radio station. No, no, we want and we want people to copy the show, burn it to CDs. I just got a Twitter from uh, No Agenda Torrent who says, uh, for the record, uh, the French have never downloaded a torrent of the show, but India has. So there's leeches out there in India. We've never received anything from India, have we? I think we got one guy who's on one of the plans. Okay, so let me uh, read some of the notes we got from people with their their, their uh, donations, like fifty dollars from Jared Shapiro in Somerville, South Carolina. Says, "I will il- email an addition to the note, but I have been listening for over a year now to every show in the morning on the way to work. Unfortunately, my store is closing in March, so I'll have to find another job so I can keep listening to the show." Oh, damn. I would love it if you and Adam would check out the special documentary you did on the Tea Party. Uh, we'll post that on the show notes. Uh, John Kelly, is, of course, is just in a layaway program. Uh, Robert Hegedus, uh, $103.33. And this is going to become a, a meme, I'm afraid. Unfortunately, I don't know if I should be encouraging it, but I think I will. Uh, I have another douchebag shout-out. Oh, boy. Your I'm listener that called it. out his non-donating douchebag friend reminded me to call out two that I know. <laughs> so to Ryan Turner and David Dolson, pony up, you cheap douchebag. Douchebag. On the side note, I run an IT, I run IT at a data center that was built as an underground nuclear fallout shelter. So he says we are invited to visit. Uh, Nikki Schumacher, uh, $58 from, uh, oh, brother. Uh, <laughs> Here it comes. United Kingdom. <laughs> oh, no, come on. Give the guy's name. Leicestershire. Leicestershire. Right. Yeah. yeah. Very good. You got it. Leicestershire. Uh, please wish Joel Phil E. All a happy birthday. He'll be tw- 32 on February 23rd. Happy birthday. And he, she gave us a palindrome, thir- 21 plus 32 plus 5. Uh, Joel Phil E. Now, I would suspect that these two are friends in some way. Uh, and I suspect that she's doing this uh, because Joel should probably be asking her to get married. Oh, okay. I'm just guessing. That's nice. $66. So, Joel, get off the stick. She's probably gorgeous. <laughs> yeah, I bet she is. Hot. She could be. Let's see. 
Yeah, Nikki, come on. All Nikki's are pretty cute. $66.66. Uh, Jose Fontau. Uh, all right, I've been called out. But this is the guy, by the way, who was called out as a douchebag. All right, I've been called out by Ben Rush, and I'm not a douchebag. I'm calling out Sean McWhorter to oh, do wait his a minute. Wait a minute. i, I got to get my finger on the button again. Douchebag. And he just said, Adam, play the douchebag jingle now. By the way, thank you guys for calling. This is the guy we called on his birthday. Oh, and, right. Uh, okay. You know, there's a, an iPhone app called A Douchebag, and it uh, has a button on it. You can set it, and it will play douchebag in 17 languages. <laughs> it's a fine it's a fine app. I'm sure it will make half a million dollars easy. That's one of our uh, fine uh, reviews. <laughs> Dallas Bedwell, 55 bucks uh, or, or uh, Eugene Oregon uh, Circuit 6 LLC. I'm Dr. Andy from Circuit 6 an audio visual lighting company. We listened listen to no agenda by the way. He gave us 50 but we were thinking that he should, maybe should be given if you can prove this uh, associate uh, public relations uh, person. We listen to no agenda on jobs sites and play the show through PA systems on festival stages and concerts. Wow, that's awesome. Hey, everybody, <laughs> Freebird! <laughs> Ray, uh, Ray Manguel, the radio guy, $50.05, uh, Jersey City. $88.88 from Andrew Ibrahim in Toronto, and he says, uh, in the morning to you, a bit late, but happy Chinese New Year, hence all the eights. I wish to you good health and prosperity. I'm a student. Here's a student who's giving us money at the University of Waterloo, and after paying tuition, here's all I can afford now for the record. I'm an honor, honors geography and environmental management candidate and i think your views on global warming climate gate and the ipcc are ridiculous oh okay also i'd like to call out richard thomas chin a york university student who avidly listens to the show and is probably the only student at york who is aware of the mind control going on at that school douchebag <laughs> All right, so there's our. Uh, that's I guess it. We're now we're everyone's a douchebag, <laughs> and you pay for the privilege. It's wonderful. Uh, no, seriously though, we we appreciate it. We are proving that there is a business model for this type of programming because it will not work with commercials. Uh, uh, and I'm I'm working on my own manifesto. How advertising just is broken altogether, at least on scale. Uh, you know, it's we've we're proving right here that if we can build a small, loyal community, which we seem to have certainly at noagendachat.com, um, that there is a way that out of many we can uh, we can become one. Oh, e pluribus unum. I just came up with a new slogan. Yeah, it's on the back of the new penny, by the way. Yeah. Um, which but, we probably maybe it, could talk about. Yeah, Dvorak.org slash NA and noagendashow.com and channeldvorak.com slash NA to donate. We appreciate it. We'll, uh, you know, I don't know how long the douchebag thing is going to continue. But it's, <laughs> it won't last, I'm sure. It won't last. Let's hope, let's hope it doesn't last. <laughs> Also, noagendashow.com for all of the show notes, which is a part of the offering that we provide to you. There's actual work that goes into this program. John and I are incommunicado uh, or uh, throughout the entire week. We're always looking at stories, looking at angles. I mean, how many how many people do you know that actually text message each other and say, hey, dude, something cool on C-SPAN right it's now? It's pathetic. It is. It's, you know, Mickey's sitting here going like... Uh, is it time to watch ugly people again? She hears the text message, right? She's like, Pee -pee. and she's like, oh, 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 brother. She said, okay, well, and she's like watching E. Chelsea Handler. And you're like, yeah, all right, what do you got to watch now? But she actually gets into it. 
She uh, well, some good stuff. I mean, we do have to go through a lot of gar- boring oh, stuff. So much garbage just to, just to get to something. But you know what? It's what uh, what are the, what are those people called who are supposed to do that stuff? Um, mm, let me um, think. Journalists, maybe. Oh yeah, that's yeah. what it is. <laughs> There's more that we do on this show, which is all a part of our service to you. I'm reading a phenomenal book, John. It's called Side Effects, Death, Confessions of a Pharma Insider. Oh, that uh, should be good. Oh, my God. And I have a link uh, in the show notes, uh, an Amazon link, so you can actually pick up a copy of the book. It's also available on the Kindle. It's about this guy who was born in uh, British Guiana, and he eventually went on to become one of the top salesmen for Eli Lilly. And he, you know, he, he's, so he's a whistleblower, but, you know, he's like 64 or 65 right now, so he's kind of retired and he doesn't care anymore. But when you read how the pharmaceutical industry, with Eli Lilly, I think, being the most evil of them all now, they, have, they, have, they, they get the award, the gold medal, what they do to hide people dying in clinical trials and how they bribe doctors. There was just some guy busted recently, some doctor who for the last 15 or so years has just been phoning up numbers. And he's like, oh, that's, and let's hire him. He's perfect. Yeah. So, and this guy was, you know, he's a sales guy. And he, and he, he really lays it all out. And it's a page turner. It's not a very thick book, but it's just, it's a page turner. It's like, boom, oh my God, I can't believe this. Oh, wow. And they make up diseases like ADHD. It's just, that was, it's completely fabricated. And, uh, and he really focuses on, um, the neuro, uh, what do you call it? The neuro, um, Neurotoxins. Not the neurotoxins. Well, but basically Prozac, the drugs that, uh, that are supposed oh, to help you out of depression. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. And he says, you know, the number of suicides that are done in clinical trials. They have people in a clinical trial hanging themselves. themselves. Yeah, hanging themselves, which that should never happen. They're supposed to be monitored. <laughs> it's, it's, it's amazing to read. It's, a, it's easy to read. And, of course, the guy, you know, has an interesting history coming from... Uh, Coming from British Guiana, you know, his whole, it's only like the first chapter of how he got into, got to London finally and got the study and got his first, uh, you know, medical degree and then went on to become a top salesman for Eli Lilly. But it's just, you must read this book. Um, you're going to put a link to the, to yeah, the show. Yeah, link you should probably the show get an Amazon account so people buy through our. Yeah, no, I, I have it through, uh, I have, I found out that I have an Amazon account. So uh, you can uh, we get get a little hit. I mean, it, you the get book's a nickel like, or a dime. It's not that much. It's nothing. Since, yeah. if, since we're on the topic, I got a couple of ads. Oh, nice! Uh, that are right down this topic's alley. So let's play the first one, and we will just talk about it for a minute. But uh, what I'm liking about some of these are uh, is the music uh, that Avadart uses uh, in the background, which is just a kind of calming. And they change the pace. And if you just listen to the music as you're, as the words are coming through, you can just see what, what an interesting sales pitch this is. I'm at the doctor getting my shoulder looked at. As we're finishing up, I mention I'm going to the bathroom more often. He checks it out. Good thing. Turns out my urinary symptoms, such as going frequently, trouble going, flow starts and stops, and going often at night, are due to BPH, also called enlarged prostate. (laughs) BPH. He says over time, Avidart has been shown to shrink the prostate, improve urinary symptoms, and reduce the risk of prostate surgery. 
Only your healthcare provider can tell if your symptoms are from BPH and not a more serious condition like prostate cancer. Do not donate blood until six months after stopping Avidart. Tell your doctor if you have liver disease. Rarely sexual side effects, swelling, or tenderness of the breasts can occur. Oh. Avidart is for men only. <laughs> Women should not take or handle Avidart due to risk of a specific birth defect. Today's the day to talk to your doctor about your urinary symptoms and find out if Avidart is right for you. This is amazing. First of all, the music sounds like U2. It sounds like the beginning of a U2 track. Yeah. And well, there's one line in here, by the way, that just kills me. Well, so well, this guy's talking to his doctor, and he says, "You know, blah hey, blah you know, blah." I, I, I can't pee; it's not going can't well, pee, man. And so, but <laughs> but the end of the thing, they say this interesting. They make this interesting comment. Tell your doctor you have if you have liver disease. Well, can you imagine? Hey, by the way, I've got liver disease. The doctor goes, "What? <laughs> I Pop, didn't know what, that. How did you? Who, how do you know? <laughs> doctor, yeah. Yeah anything tell your doctor you have liver disease. i like this whole G- gpd what they call it uh, bp bph hold on, what is it? Say what that means he checks it out he checks it out is that hold on let me just check your cock hold on hmm let me check your prostate good thing turns out my urinary symptoms such as going frequently here has a name flow starts and stops and going off at night are due to bph bph Boner prevention, <laughs> some I don't know, hard on. I don't know some weird. I don't know. Boner prevention, hard on. Yeah, nice, John. Nice. <laughs> so anyway, okay. Well, now we got the Lunesta ad, which I think is even more interesting because they have a uh, they have the long laundry list of all the things it'll do to you, which none of it which sounds good, but. They, they they have this they the sound effects they use on this one it's just like it snaps you into a, a maximum attention and so you have to listen to the ad listen to the bell they play a, like it's like a boxing match okay. <laughs> it's like pay attention you are going to die if you don't take this if you've taken your sleep aid and you're oh. still fighting to sleep in the middle of the night why would you go one more round using it you don't need a rematch wait here's the meeting Okay, I've got this great idea. We're going to do a boxing theme. Okay? And uh, we'll do the bell for each round. We'll use language that is related to boxing. It'll really work because guys listen to that. If you've taken your sleep aid and you're still fighting to sleep in the middle of the night, why would you go one more round using it? You don't need a rematch, but a rethink with Lunesta. Lunesta is different. It keys into receptors that support sleep, setting your sleep process in motion. Lunesta helps you get the restful sleep you need. When taking Lunesta, don't drive or operate machinery until you feel fully awake. Walking, eating, driving, or engaging in other activities while asleep without remembering it the next day have been reported. Abnormal <laughs> behaviors may include aggressiveness. Ad- I'm sorry, I gotta stop. <laughs> Not remembering where you were the next day is part and, of this. And not remembering if you ate. <laughs> if you walked around. Oh, my God. <laughs> this is good. This is this is good for you. Driving or engaging in other activities while asleep without remembering it the next day have been reported. Abnormal behavior. Like driving without remembering it. Oh, this is awesome. One more time. <laughs> I love this. Until you feel fully awake. Walking, eating, driving, or engaging in other activities while asleep without remembering it the next day. 
next day have been reported. Abnormal behaviors may include aggressiveness, agitation, hallucinations, or confusion. In depressed patients, worsening of depression, including risk of suicide, may occur. Alcohol may increase these risks. Allergic reactions such as tongue or throat swelling occur rarely and may be fatal. Side effects may include unpleasant taste, headache, dizziness, and morning drowsiness. Stop fighting with your sleep. Morning Get a free seven-night trial online and ask your doctor about switching to Lunesta. Switching. Discover a restful Lunesta night. from what? This is, this is great. It basically puts you in a, in a zombie state. Yeah, total zombie. You don't remember anything. You this don't is... remember eating. You don't remember driving. <laughs> this passed the FDA regulation. This is like, no, you FDA may not. It does nothing. Oh, my God. This is, and switching from, yeah, switching from what? Switch yeah, from the- I, I, this first does not knocking me on my ass and making me hallucinate <laughs> when I kill myself. John, we need to Get take something this. stronger, Doc. We just need to take this. We no. just need to try it out. You may not remember doing an entire No Agenda show, but after taking <laughs> Lunesta, you may get very pissed off at your radio partner. You, you may have suicidal thoughts, but you may not remember the suicidal thoughts. This is zombie meds. This is fantastic. Why do people, you know, if you can't fall asleep, I think it's, it's roofies. Like it's roofies. Do more work. Yeah, really. Like, do not, do not operate heavy machinery until you feel fully awake. Yeah, duh. <laughs> oh, my God. This is fantastic. What, is the, what are the visuals that go along with Lunesta? The woman tossing and turning in bed and then looking real calm and then a butterfly flying all over the place like this, like nightmarish, hallucinogenic butterfly flying across the screen. (laughs) Okay, so the whole, okay, so the whole chime thing is because this is what guys are supposed to buy for their women. Because essentially, you know, the, the whole boxing metaphor gets guys' attention like, oh, hold on a second. Oh, wait a minute. The bitch ain't even going to know it. She's going to be asleep half the time. <laughs> Finally. Huh, right. Now I, yeah, yeah, honey, you should get some of this. And you won't remember a thing. BPH, benign prostate hypertro- hypertrophy. Hyper- hypertrophy. Hypertrophy? No, I, you know, after you just said that pronunciation, I can't. Uh, yeah. I'll think of it in a second. Yeah, it's hard. Wow. Oh, I haven't laughed that hard in a, in a week. That's a good one. Yeah, well, there's some one. other stuff we got here on the, on the back. Up, uh, for one thing, uh, I, we could either go get serious and play uh, some clips I made of uh, a surprisingly good speaker at CPAC, John Bolton, or we could save that for the next show and play some bad acting. No, I don't want to do bad acting. I'd, let's do. Some, I mean, I I have some serious stuff as well. Okay, I mean, well, the, if you're going to do that, then play my clip because I have some comment I want to make. I have to ask you something. What you think about this? I just want to play the short clip on, of Obama on health care. Uh, hold on a second. This was on the, on his Saturday. Uh, now you know he does that Saturday. Oh, his uh, state of the uh, his uh, fireside chat. Yeah. Right. Okay. The other week, men and women across California opened up their mailboxes to find a letter from Anthem Blue Cross. The news inside was jaw-dropping. Anthem was alerting almost a million of its customers that it would be raising premiums by an average of 25%, with about a quarter of folks likely to see their rates go up by anywhere from 35 to 39%. Now, after their announcement stirred public outcry, Anthem agreed to delay their rate hike until May 1st, while the situation is reviewed by the state of California. 
but it's not just Californians who are being hit by rate hikes. In Kansas, one insurance company raised premiums by 10 to 20 percent, only after asking to raise them by 20 to 30 percent. Last year, Michigan Blue Cross Blue Shield raised rates by 22 percent after asking to raise them by up to 56 percent. And in Maine, Anthem is asking to raise rates for some folks by about 23 percent. The bottom line is that the status quo is good for the insurance industry and bad for America. Over the past year, as families and small business owners have struggled to pay soaring health care costs, and as millions of Americans lost their coverage, the five largest insurers made record profits of over $12 billion. And as bad as things are today, they'll okay, only get good. worse if all we right. fail. So, first of all, we have um, Anthem Blue Cross, whatever. That's uh, yeah. that's our provider, Mevio, and our our uh, right. we have not did not receive anything in the mail. Well, the, your group thing is a little different than the way they this, this is for the individual programs. But let me ask a couple of questions here that are rhetorical. One of them is <clears throat> with this health care bill kind of floundering. Uh, why, out of the blue, would these uh, insurance companies draw attention to themselves, having, as Obama points out, rightly so, that they've made twelve billion billion dollars in easy money profits, why would they jack up the prices out of the blue to draw attention to the situation, which is exactly what happened with everybody covering this? So that that question is has, has to be answered in one of two ways. One, they were told to do it to get the the public option thing back on track, and so they would come in, which was our original theory, by right, the way. Right, which is, during, uh, yeah, then it, all the talk now is, yeah, all the talk now is about uh, the, the, the upcoming... Public options back on, on the back table. Back on, yeah. And there was either for that reason, in other words, they're in on this somehow. In other words, it's like, okay, Anthem, here's what we're going to do. We're going to do a public option, but you're going to run it. It's going to be even more easy money, but we've got we can't get it back on the agenda. Can you get, do an outrageous hike hike of the rates and get a lot of publicity, and that'll get the public all irked, and we can get this get this thing going where it's belong where it belongs. Either that, or they're jacking up the prices because they know their days are numbered and they want to take, get as much profit and run as fast as they can. Well, One of those two things. There's no other reason to do this rate hike. Both of these reasons are essentially corrupt. But both, but it has to be one or the other. It can't be anything else. Have you looked at the short positions? Because this was your original theory: is that once the uh, the public option gets pushed through, then all those people who uh, who invested and in, and got in short will basically yeah, clean win up. big. They'll the, clean the, up the, huge. The, the stocks all skyrocketed, and they still, are, as far as I can tell, that this hasn't changed. But the but the public option thing has got to be a concern to people who are investing in, in insurance companies, and it has to be a concern to the insurance companies unless they're in on the game, you know, in some way where they, when the public option comes out, somebody has to manage it. And then we love to outsource everything. And it yeah. seems to me that you just say, okay, Anthem, you're going to be running the public option yeah. along with your own program and then you can transition and take over the whole thing if you want yeah, you I mean, the whole, this is a, this 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 outrageous increase is is just bogus i mean it wasn't done because of some i mean it's a scheme it's part of a scheme it's so obvious now goldman sachs will wind up running the public option no oh, whatever the you whole watch. thing is set up set up by the way where you were talking i just want to mention one more thing before you get on to your next topic which is that uh uh, since you're talking about the pharmaceutical companies, I wanted to mention this article that showed up in India, in the India Today uh, uh, 
uh, publication. Apparently, this 84-year-old uh, Monsanto, I guess he was the head of India, India's Monsanto division, and, and Monsanto. Long, since, long since retired, uh, he says that uh, on the guy worked at Monsanto for two decades, including eight years as the managing director of India operations. Yeah, he falsified Four, information. Yeah. He says on Monday, he elaborated by saying the company used to fake scientific data. <laughs> you don't say. Submitted to government <laughs> regulatory agencies to get commercial approvals for its products in India. Yeah. No, you don't say. Goes on and on. Yeah, I know. It's all like, yeah, well, we knew this. And I, and I had this fantastic page, which now, of course, is gone. You didn't <sighs> say page as? Uh, hold on a second. I'll find it. Crap. Anyway, uh, the USDA, uh, you know, I've been on uh, tracking the sugar, the, the falsified sugar crisis, the synthetic right. sugar crisis. And uh, essentially, this was an, it was a NASDAQ page, which is now gone. So I don't have time to, to go find it, but I will get the original page back in the show notes, noagendashow.com, that, uh, that it is impossible to fulfill the sugar need for the 2010 sugar crop without biotech seed. No, brother. Yeah, yeah, impossible. The USDA is saying it, it. we have to use Monsanto. It literally says Monsanto produced biotech seed for sugar beet in order to fulfill the requirements needed for the 2010 sugar crop. And, uh, and, and, you know, they're like, well, you know, we really didn't look into how bad this stuff was because, of course, it's all been Roundup Ready seed, Roundup Ready resistant seed uh, that's been used, 95%. And, and so there's like 5% real sugar beet seed still left over. And there's just no way we cannot fulfill the needs uh, of what people need in sugar beet for 2010 without it being biotech seed. And Monsanto is the only guys who deliver this shit. And one more thing the guy in India said, he says, at the time Monsanto was getting into the seed business, and I had information that a Terminator gene was to be incorporated in the seeds being supplied by the firm. This meant that the farmer had to buy fresh seeds from Monsanto at a heavy cost every time he planted a crop. By the way, something like 200 or so uh, farmers in India all committed suicide like a, like a year or so ago over some of this the fact that these they can't make their own seeds anymore. No, it was anymore, like se- was it 700 farmers. It was, it was much worse than that. Well, whatever it was, it was these guys are being put out of, I mean, they're just being ruined. Here it is, but yeah. the, by the way, sugar beets are, are essentially, a, you know, if you're going to, if, if you're going to use sugar out there, people use cane sugar. Uh, the sugar beet uh, is actually a toxic uh, beet and the sugar from it has to be highly refined because the fact of the, and this is a little inside information. If you buy a, uh, like, for example, C&H is a, is a cane sugar company, and I think Spreckles is a, or Domino is a sugar beet sugar company. If you buy a brown sugar, you can't make brown sugar from a sugar beet. You, you get a brown sugar, but it has to be refined because the molasses from, that you get from the, uh, from the sugar beet, which is the part of the sugar that makes it brown, is actually poisonous. So when they make brown sugar from sugar beets, they actually get molasses from cane sugar and spray it in a special in a special device and sprays and coats the sugar with this little brown color that becomes brown sugar. Really? So it's basically, it's molasses uh, covering up poison. 
No, the poison is out. Oh, okay. There's no poison in what's left. The sugar is, is fine. I mean, the, the beet sugar, sugar, after it's been refined and refined and you get all that toxic molasses out of it, yeah, it's okay. But if you want brown sugar, which some people seem to prefer, it, you can't really make it from sugar beets because that molasses is toxic. And so they have to spray it with with regular cane sugar molasses. Any cane sugar, brown sugar is genuine. It's not sprayed with anything. It's real brown sugar. And that is, uh, now, where I, where'd I find this out? Well, I got at one time I was uh, I was uh, an a food, inspector, a food at inspector at the yeah. C and H cane sugar factory, and they gave me this long lecture about every kind of sugar in the world. And then th- when they told me about the poisonous molasses, I got uh, kind of I thought it was somewhat amusing. So here's the story: the supply of non-biotech sugar beet seeds available to farmers is insufficient if a federal judge bans the use of genetically modified seeds. U.S. District Court Judge Jeffrey White could rule on the matter as early as March 5th, the time of year when most sugar beet farmers traditionally begin begin planting. "Quote: There's not enough conventional seed to produce a crop this year," says uh, Luther Marquardt. Executive Vice President of the American Sugar Beet Growers Association. Uh, the biotech sugar beet seeds under consideration were developed by... Monsanto. And are popular with U.S. farmers because of the herbicide resistance they provide. Before these herbicide-resistant seeds, farmers had to use several different kinds of herbicides that needed to be applied to crops at different stages of plant development. So, uh, yeah, 95% of the 2009 sugar beet crop was produced with genetically modified seeds. Please. Uh. I, I mean, how did you know that? No, I didn't. I didn't know Monsanto was making these seeds for... Uh... Dude, they're, they're, they're making everything. They're making everything. Uh, the FDIC, Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation, is opening a massive office near Chicago. And why would they be doing that, John? They like the Windy City. Yes, and to handle the coming tidal wave of Midwest bank closings they are expecting. <laughs> Might as well centrally locate. That's exactly it. They've got seven floors in uh, in Chicago. They're opening up a new office, 500 employees, because there's going to be so many Midwest bank failures. Like, we might as well uh, be uh, nearby. Yeah, you know, we can walk over there. Quick bit of real news. I loved this um, from the uh, from the Olympics. Oh, shoot, man. You know what? The Olympic Committee took it down. That's too bad. You can't save these videos. Oh, crap. Yeah, there is, there's actually a couple of programs that allow you to save yeah, these videos. Yeah, I could. Well, well, anyway, Sven Kramer is a Dutch speed skater, and he won the gold. And it was so funny because he, he wins the gold. He comes across the finish line. You know, he does like half a, half a circuit, and he skates out. And then there's this N- NBC or ABC newswoman. It would be NBC. Who's, yeah, NBC, of course. Sticks the mic in front of his face and says, tell everyone what your name is, what you just won, what, and what medal you won. And, uh, you know, because she wants, she wants to have, like, the peace, right? So the guy just won the gold medal, right? The gold medal for, like, the sprint or whatever. And she's like, hi, uh, please tell everyone what your name is, uh, what medal you won, and what the event was. What is she, in high school? And and his response is, what are you, stupid? (laughs) It was beautiful. But, of course, the the Olympic Committee took it down. (laughs) That's too bad. What are you, stupid? It was hilarious. I don't see why the Olympic Committee has the right to take that down. It was a report. Oh, it's part of the deal, part of the contract. Uh, They have full control. 
Very interesting. Uh, you I know refuse that- to watch this crap, by the way. The Olympic Committee should be tarred and feathered. Yeah, people don't understand that this is one big uh, commercial venture. And it's like, a scam. Yeah, it's a big scam. Getting a bunch of people to work for nothing. Yeah, these kids are working for basically for a pair of skis and a, and a, and a track suit. No, they can't even, well, maybe. I mean, I, I don't mind the people working for nothing. I think volunteerism is great, but this isn't volunteerism. This is a slavery. huge sl- billion-dollar operation that doesn't pay out to it's anybody. It's slavery. It's slavery. It's a form of slavery. Yeah. So do you recall uh, about a year ago we were um, noticing that the SDRs, the special drawing rights, um, were placed into all financial systems? And I've received a printout of these SDRs. And this, I think, John, is absolutely becoming the global currency that we've been discussing because it had there's now an exchange rate against all different currencies versus the SDR. And and this is now being used by traders uh, in currency swaps. So it's this phantom SDR. I'm not quite sure how they would commercialize that and use it for consumers. Uh, but the possibility of SDR as a meaningful reserve currency is absolutely possible. Interesting. And, yeah, and you'll see that the dollar and the euro, there's like a spread of 12%. You know, it's really, it's, it's weird. Well, there's probably something happening about that. Uh, just looking at Gitmo Nation, uh, United States of Europe, th- it doesn't get any funnier. So, of course, we've been following that Greece is in deep, deep trouble. By the way, huge nationwide strike planned uh, this coming week. You know, there, you know, there's no fuel already. There are fuel lines because the, you know, the truckers are stopping. Everyone's stopping. They're just going to stop working, which I think is the right thing to do. This is the French way. And they may not know how to donate to the show, but they sure know how to get the attention of the elites. They just stop the whole economy. So this is, this is funny. Uh, yesterday's news about the departure of the head of the debt management agency, Spiros Papanakalakalu. I can't pronounce the guy's name. Uh, He is being replaced. So this is the guy who is in charge of the Greek debt office. And, of course, this is the problem they have is they have this humongous debt. Is being replaced by a former Goldman Sachs investment banker. It doesn't get any better. Unbelievable. These guys have no shame. Why should they? It's just rolling right Besides in. Besides you and me, who's complaining? Yeah, it's just rolling right in. They, they helped them hide the, the debt in the first place. By the way, uh, Gitmo Nation East, United Kingdom, turns out their debt is now over 12%. They could easily be next. Easily. They just had to borrow an extra 4.3 billion pounds last month. Hmm. Uh, p- pumping up their uh, the forecast uh, was 178 billion now to 180 billion. It's not going to stop. They are now over 12.8 percent, heading towards 13 percent of GDP, which puts them in a very pre- precarious situation. Now, I'd of course, they, they can inflate their own currency, which is smart, which is why they kept the pound. But uh, this is not uh, this is not a very uh, good situation. And it's nice, you know, it's nice to see that it's not just the U.S. is getting screwed. We may come out smelling like a rose when all is said and done. It's very possible. It's happened before, ladies and gentlemen. There's an interesting story that uh, I'll put the link in the show notes, noagendashow.com. 
uh, if you if you wonder what people are like, these uh, these politicians. This is a great story that one of the highest ranking members of the uh, of the civil service. Uh, I'm trying to th- trying to find out exactly what the what his position is. It's civil service chief chief actually had to take Prime Minister Gordon Brown aside and speak to him about his abusive treatment of staff. And when you read this article, this guy, he's like, he like stabs his pen into the leather of the car when he's pissed off. He, <laughs> he, he jumps across the desk and grabs people by their shirt collars and says, they're out to get me, they're out to get me. He's running around screaming and yelling at people. The people are terrified at 10 Downing Street of him. Terrified. And it was got so bad here. During one rage, while in his official car, Brown clenched his fist in fury after being told some unwelcome news and then thumped the back of the passenger seat with such force that a protection officer sitting in the front flinched with shock. The aide sitting next to Brown, who had just told him the information that provoked the outburst, cowered because he feared that the prime minister was about to hit him in the face. I mean, I thought we had that, but no, he seems to have the same formula. Our formula is this. We go out... We hit people in the mouth. That's right. That's what Gordon Brown does, and he adds to it. So follow this in the uh, in the Observer. They're serializing this book that was written by this former chief, uh, the civil service chief, and it makes so much sense. You know, these people are maniacal. They're egomaniacs, and they're, they're out of their minds. Crackpots. They are out of their minds, completely out of yeah. their minds. Yeah, and they're running things. Hi, Adam. Uh, John, I'm a junior in high school taking a U.S. history class. We're currently studying the 1950s concerning McCarthyism and such. This is a 17-year-old. The whole class took a survey adapted from a 1954 survey in S.A. Stauffer's Communism, Conformity, and Civil Liberties, A Cross-Section of the Nation Speaks Its Mind. That was in 1955. The answers students in my class gave for the survey made me sick to my stomach. For example... For the question, should the government have the right to listen in on people's private telephone conversations in order to get evidence against communists, it had 21 votes for yes and six for no. (laughs) (laughs) This question can be seen as a direct parallel to the Patriot Act today, but in order to get evidence against terrorists, quickly after the question was asked of the class, uh... Do any of you have any sense of privacy or personal liberties? I was quickly attacked by other students who claimed, if you have nothing to hide, you have nothing to worry about. I had to hold myself back from yelling at the entire class. I hope uh, will hopefully be donating soon once I get some pot, some money. Being executive producer for No Agenda would look good on a college resume. It would. Love the show, Tom Lawler, age 17. And I'm very pleased to hear this, but let me just say one thing. Don't go off on the classmates. You won't win. Okay, you've got to find other ways to, uh, you know, get into college, get into get into public service, and run for president. We'll vouch for you, <laughs> no doubt about it. That's just it's just sad when I hear that. Oh yeah, you got nothing to hide, you got nothing to worry about, slave. You want to do those Newsweek things real quick? Have you did you read this? No, I didn't. Why don't you just go over them? Okay, so Newsweek came out with an. Um, 
and I don't know if it's in the paper version, but certainly online. Know Your Conspiracies, Newsweek's Guide to Today's Trendiest, Hippest, and Least Likely Fringe Beliefs. And it's written like by an intern. But this is Newsweek. So number one, Barack Obama was not born in the United States. So the the truthers. But the way this is written... the birthers. Yeah, the birthers, I'm sorry. The way this was written... Is. You know, I think this whole thing, this whole broad, this, this, I, I've said it before on the show. I think the thing has always been a red herring, and I think it was done by, I don't know who who's behind it, but it's it's obviously just a bogus distraction. The fact that this came up number one or is this number ten? No, this is number one. It's ridiculous. So let me read you number two, and, and so the way the format of this article is: one, it's the conspiracy; two, it's the proponents of the conspiracy; and three, kernel of truth. So number two, of course, is anthropogenic global warming is a hoax. Kernel of truth. So this is basically Newsweek debunking this conspiracy. Deniers have long taken advantage of scientists' cautious statements. And I like cl- the use of the word denier. Deniers. Oh, yeah. And climate gate breathed new new life into the movement but the science stands warming is real and it's caused by human actions the science is in this is newsweek this is newsweek the science stands what a piece of crap goldman sachs intentionally created the economic crisis is number three kernel of truth goldman undoubtedly did better than any competitor from the financial crisis And CEO Lloyd Blankfein even admitted, albeit cryptically, that the company had, quote, participated in things that were clearly wrong. This theory is tougher than others to debunk fully because there's no empirical data available either way. Nonetheless, while Goldman may have profited, that alone doesn't prove malice or conspiracy. Oh, my God. It's unbelievable. Stooges. Ah, But Newsweek, my mom... What, you know, and, you know, you know, my parents, you know, they had some government ties and stuff. And, you know, she once gave me a subscription saying, you know, this is great. You should read this. And he's like, this is Newsweek. This is not reporting. This is like COINTELPRO. Just laying it right out on the line. From our um, two to the head. This is just funny. Remember the uh, Lockerbie bomber? He was released. Yeah, and pissed because he couldn't tell his side of the story. Yeah, why was he released, John? Do you recall? Well, yeah, because it looks like they they had turned up evidence to show that the real culprits were somebody else, and they were going to bring this out in court. And so they decided decided to release him and ship him out of there as fast as they could. Right, that's the real story. But what was the cover story that was used? I forgot what the cover story was. It was on compassionate grounds because oh, right. he had yeah, cancer. Because he's dying or something. He's yeah. going to be dead in a minute. <laughs> well, it turns out he's living in a luxury villa, still alive six months after being at death's door. You got to love it. Yeah, well, who's following up on this? this is there must be a hot Newsweek story that's pointing out this discrepancy. <laughs> no, it's only those two jerk-offs from No Agenda. And uh, from the out there files, um, Thursday, uh, the Large Hadron Collider powers up once again. So hunker down, everybody. (laughs) Here it comes. This is so bad. This is so bad. I hope this thing blows up again. (laughs) 
It will. By the, by the way, we're called Big Bangers now. Oh, is that what we're called? Yeah, Big, bang, big Bangers. If you don't trust it, you're a Big Banger. Because <laughs> it's going to create... Well, they're supposed to duplicate the Big Bang. Yeah. So it seems to me if they're going to do that, it would, it would blow up the universe. Yeah. Or With create, a, a, create a black hole. And then there's an article and that... The black hole's not the issue. Here's an article that comes from Belgium, so I'll have to translate on the fly. Uh, Romanian authorities um, found a uh, or uh, <laughs> found hundreds of kilograms of heroin uh, hidden in a truck, which was on its way to Haiti. Oh, gee. <laughs> yeah, medical supplies. Yeah, real metals. It was hidden in the braking system somehow. Hundreds of ki- of kilograms of heroin in a truck. This was reported in the Belgian press? Yes. I have the link in the show notes. I don't have any evidence of that being reported in the U.S. press. No, I don't think you'll see it at all. So, you know, like Haiti is becoming a very interesting place. And there's also, there's you know, there's a lot of news stories that is kind of coming through. But, you know, there was this... Um, this guy who was a legal advisor for American missionaries who were arrested on child kidnapping charges in Haiti. He himself is now facing allegations of human trafficking in El Salvador. You know why? Because they're all pedophiles. They're all trafficking little children and abusing them. And the whole, the whole system is rampant with them. Ugh, missionaries. Disgusting. It makes me want to puke. What a cover story. Ah. And and this guy is the legal advisor. Now he's he's now he's in trouble for human trafficking of kids. Unbelievable. Yeah, it's it's enough to make you just go crazy. Do you have anything, John? Because you have a couple more clips. You want to leave that I for what a it couple is? Clips, but one of the things I want to, I want you to do at the end of the show when we're done with the theme music, we're out of here. I want to play the three Bolton clips in a row. Really, one after another, huh? Yeah, Bolton on sovereignty, Bolton on treaties, and Bolton on taxes. These are actually three, probably the CPAC show. I think these are the three best little ditties that you're going to hear from the whole event. And his thing on sovereignty is actually quite interesting. And he's you know, and, he, and we'll probably want to talk about this and maybe even talk about it with the clip again some other time but you know he's he sees things from a different perspective he's actually was quite funny on this thing i, I never liked him now, but now, I have to now, say tell, his, tell people who, who he is just so they know well he was the former u.n ambassador under the bush administration who was always seen as well, there's a lot of bad information or there was a bunch of, there was a bunch of slanderous well there was a, a hit piece done on him before he got the job as some sort of a horrible guy to work for and he yelled at people and he was a, a an asshole basically is what everyone said and you can see him being kind of an asshole maybe but the fact of the matter is his speech was outstanding and this then what the points he makes about sovereignty about the treaties that we shouldn't be signing because of our sovereignty we're an independent country we don't want to be part of some other bogus thing run out of brussels i mean essentially what he's saying is that the europeans when they formed the european union now want to make it bigger so they can rule over us too which is what they've tried to do with wars yes. but they haven't been able to and now they're going to try to trick us yeah, exactly. And uh, it's all part of the whole trilateral system. So, uh, but meanwhile, before we go, yeah. uh, at least we can play one of the CSI clips, the oh. pharmacy scene, which I want to explain because it's so hilarious. First of all, well, just play it and then I'll... Black market. Boss, I just got a real-time hit on Joseph Winston's stolen phone. I'm waiting for our suspect to turn it on. Triangulation trace it to a pharmacy on Riverside Drive, and I just tapped into their security cams. 
Oh, and that's him. That's Casey Steele. What? What's he waiting for? Lindsay, call the pharmacy. Tell them to take their time. Danny, call Hawks and Flack. They're going shopping. What? Let's go. So, that, by the way, they showed this pharmacy, and it's a little hole-in-the-wall crap hole pharmacy. That's of course. So but meanwhile, they got cams that they can tap right into. Right. First, the they, triangulate, they triangulate in, th- in three nanoseconds. Yeah, turn on the cam. Oh, my God. And this is meant to make you believe that they can do this stuff. This is, this is poisoning the jury pool of this country. It's mind control is what it is. Mind control. So anyway, so we'll play the Bolton stuff at the end, and uh, that would be this is probably the only clips we need. All right, then let me just end on a really happy news, uh, happy news note here, John. Yeah, this is good. Um, as you know, we're planning uh, to visit uh, many of our producers around the world. We need to get to Australia. We need to get to uh, Gitmo Nation East and Europe. Uh, we must put Switzerland on our list, John. Uh, Swiss prostitutes are now being trained to use defibrillators in brothels in case uh, heart patients uh, go into uh, cardiac arrest. Yeah, no, apparently a bunch of people have been dropping dead in Swiss brothels. Which which for, tells me that there's something good going on there. That sounds like they're doing their job, at least. <laughs> All right. Uh, we've uh, overstayed our welcome once again. Yeah, we're, we're doing like two hours a show now. It's too long. Crapola. Hey, help us out. Go to noagendashow.com, dvorak.org slash na, or channeldvorak.com slash na, and donate. And get on the $5 a month program or the $33 a month program. Coming to you from Gitmo Nation West in Southern California at the Hilltop Watchtower. My name's Adam Curry. And from the Northern Silicon Enclave, uh, it's actually starting to drizzle now, which is good. I'm John C. Dvorak. We'll talk to you again early Thursday morning right here on No Agenda. Clear uh, where this is coming from, from uh, comments made by the new president of Europe. Herman von Rompuy of the European Union on November the 19th when he took office. Uh, Europeans take the, the uh, presidency of Europe seriously. So I suppose we should. But anyway, Herman von, Herman von Rompuy said, uh, and listen, this was before Copenhagen, but he said 2009, remember that epic year that the president talked about, 2009 is also the first year of global governance with the establishment of the G20 in the middle of the financial crisis. The climate conference in Copenhagen is another step toward the global management of our planet. Now, nobody in Europe laughed when their president said that. And, uh, and, and it's, it, it's important when you remember the adulation of one student after a, a speech the president made on his first European trip. He said in, awe in, his, in his voice, he sounds like a European. That, that's where the problem is. We're going to see more efforts on climate change. The collapse in Copenhagen has not discouraged the advocates. Uh, and, you know, this is something that, uh, that we need to be concerned about. Whatever you think about the extent of global warming, whatever the extent you think about its man-made causes, because the people who support the sorts of state control, state regulation, and international taxation that were being talked about in Copenhagen would advocate those same policies, whether the problem 
problem was global warming, global cooling, or the Earth's temperature wasn't changing at all. This is a statist agenda we have to reject. The, the, the threats to American sovereignty are going to come in a variety of other areas as well. I foresee at some point that the president will find a way to once again sign the treaty creating the International Criminal Court. Secretary of State Clinton uh, said uh, last year uh, uh, that it was, and I quote, a great regret, but it is a fact we are not yet a signatory to the Rome Statute, which created the court. Again, in the Bush administration, we took the U.S. signature off that treaty, which was a direct threat to American sovereignty. The, the president has made it clear he wants to say, see a lot more of American foreign policy run uh, through the United Nations system, and he also... Uh, he also wants to uh, see the U.S. Uh, uh, perceived as more engaged internationally. So there are a lot of treaties out there that have uh, withered for a long time. I think uh, at the appropriate moment, the administration will make another effort to get them uh, ratified by the Senate, the U.N. Convention on the Rights of the Child, the Convention on the Elimination of All Forms of Discrimination Against Women, the Convention on the Rights of Persons with Disabilities. You know, there's a theme here. In, in, in the United States, at our federal level, Level and state level, we have dealt with questions of discrimination uh, on the basis of disability and gender. Uh, and a whole range of issues. We in this room would probably disagree over what the appropriate measures are. There'd be a broader disagreement within the American population as a whole. But you know what? As Americans, we are capable of passing our own laws on these subjects. You, you, you do not have to have a substantive position on these treaties or questions like the death penalty or anything else to say they are not matters for international negotiation. They are matters for democratically elected governments like ours to decide on our own. And finally, I could go on with a lot of other examples, but finally, one that I know uh, uh, is important is the threat of international taxes. Now, the, the UN and other international bureaucracies despise the American system where Congress has to appropriate money to pay our assessments and pay expenses of these organizations because Congress is so uncooperative. So they have looked for years to find ways to fund international organizations without having democratically elected representatives uh, make decisions. Uh, Prime Minister Brown of uh, the United Kingdom is proposing an international bank tax. The French have proposed taxes on international airline tickets. The whole point is, uh, obviously, banks and airlines don't pay taxes. You pay taxes, and you would on bank transactions and, and the purchase of these tickets. It's to get a way of funding, whether it's the climate change organizations, the International Monetary Fund, the UN itself. These various taxes come in complex guises. They're often hidden. Whenever anybody identifies one of these taxes, it doesn't matter what the purpose is. It doesn't matter how grave the situation. Once the American people lose the ability to determine where they will be taxed, we have lost the revolution, my friends. So, so let me let let me conclude. 
You know, many uh, uh, reporters ask the question, are we more secure today than we were a year ago? Uh, I don't have any trouble saying we weren't, but honestly, that's not the right question. The real question is, if President Obama continues the kinds of policies he's been pursuing so far, the right question is, how secure will we be four, three years from now compared to when he was inaugurated? And that is the most troubling aspect of all. What we need to do is keep up the debate for the next three years, not be distracted by other issues. We need a sustained, unremitting effort until 2012 when we can evaluate our presidential candidates based on their ability to defend our... It's what we do, so you 